Welcome back to the Bond Revisited podcast. You are listening to part two of episode nine, where we revisit and rank the man with the golden gun. After finding out about Haifat, Bond heads to Bangkok, where he disguises himself using Q's best invention yet. Join us as we take a look and eventually add the man with the golden gun to our rankings. So we then cut to Bond in Bangkok at High Fat's grounds. I think at one point Hip says like, oh yeah, there's, there's loads of guards and everything, so it's going to be dangerous. Um, so you see Bond scouting the location, standing on Hip's shoulders. Oh no, sorry, vice versa. Hip's on Bond's shoulders, smoking a cigar, and then um, they switch places and, and uh, Hip gives Bond a leg up, look over the wall, and Bond just, just goes in. He's just uh, wasting no time, just struts in um, and starts to have a little poke around high fats uh home i think it's his home um and that's where we come across the uh the character of chumi who's not in the film for very long but uh she's just this this lady swimming naked in a pool there's really not much apart from there for the butt of a joke to be honest with you that's probably for the best with a character called chumi i think that if she'd have been in the film anymore who knows where they would have gone (laughs) With yeah, that I as need a... to see Bond and Chumi and Goodnight. <laughs> the whole gang's here. <laughs> oh, yeah. So um, Bond's there at, next to this pool with Chumi and he starts to... The whole reason for this is because he obviously wants to he wants to undress. He wants to show off his, his fake third nipple that, that Q has whipped up for him. Uh, so, yeah, he starts to undress as if he was about to go swim in the pool uh, when High Fat comes over with his guards and, and starts to yell about, you know, get off my grounds, blah, blah, blah. And then he sees the third nipple. Oh, my goodness, it's Scaramanga. So he very quickly you know, tells the guards, put put their guns away and ushers Bond over and um, it says himself like, oh, you know, it's a, this is a surprise. I wasn't expecting to meet you like this sort of thing. Uh, and this is a great little scene because it's it's Bond. We've said before we like how Bond um, disguises and actually does a bit of, of spy work that's not just shooting or whatever. And like, He's actually putting in the effort and so here he's he's trying to act as Scaramanga, uh talking to high fat and trying to work out a bit about what's going on um and it's it's really nice because you get bond as Scaramanga talking about bond which we saw elements of that with diamonds are forever where he pretends to have killed bond um in amsterdam but yeah here you get the same thing about like he's really bigging himself up and you can just tell that He's really enjoying making out that like, oh yeah, there's this there's this James Bond agent and he might he might be meddling in this, so that could be quite dangerous. You maybe uh, you should think about taking a hit out on him, sort of thing. And yeah, I I just like that element of it. Um But yeah, the scene ends with with basically high fat saying, Yeah, we'll think about it, let's go for dinner. Which is a little bit of a anticlimax, but I suppose with the scene set up in that Bond just has a third nipple, where is it going to go? <laughs> like, what's yeah. the end goal with that scene? I just, I would just wish it wasn't a third nipple. It's just so stupid. <laughs> like, just to stop, you know, keep, you know, just to get straight to the point, the fact that there's a core plot element in this film that comes up multiple times, the fact that the main guy has a third nipple. And you have to zoom in both on Scaramanga's one. And it happens again in this scene mm. because they have to show high fat seeing the nipple. So they zoom in on Roger Moore's chest with a fake nipple on it. And it's just gross. I just don't 
want to see it. And to be honest, I didn't really, I kind of thought nothing of the scene, to be honest. Like, I kind of, you're right, it is cool to see Bond undercover talking about kind of himself, basically, but this scene kind of didn't really do anything for me. This I put this on the pile of, I'll just kind of forget about whatever scenes that we get in this and, and the last film. And I just wish it wasn't a nipple. <laughs> just to go back to it, like, this needed to be something else. I don't think it comes up again after this. I think this is our last nipple talk. I think so. But my question to you is, okay, if it's not a nipple, what would you have preferred? I don't care. Like, <laughs> <laughs> just don't do it like this. I guess they needed something so Bond could disguise himself as Scaramanga and have it be distinct enough so they know, ah, you're Scaramanga. But even so, it's not not like this. I don't think this is... I'm sure there's other ways of doing it. A missing finger. Or an extra finger. There we go. <laughs> there we go. Now we're talking. Yeah, they just don't zoom in on it at least twice. You know, if you're going to do it, <laughs> I, I can see it from a distance. I get it. Oh, I didn't mind the nipple. I'm just going to be honest. You didn't mind the nipple? I didn't mind the nipple. How many nipples out of three would you give? I'd give it three. Give it three nipples. <laughs> three out of three. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that Roger Moore's nipple, or the, Roger Moore's fake nipple, didn't really quite match his actual nipples. They could have. They could have at least matched, like, colour-wise. But anyway, oh. that's going into way too much detail. Yeah, that's not what we're about. <laughs> sorry, about. sorry about that. Uh, but, yeah, this all wraps up with Bond leaving after making the date with some dinner plans. And at the end, he says, he must have found me quite titillating. I like that line. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a good line. I just wish it wasn't. No, no one uses the word titillating. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's such a stretch, but that's why I like it. Yeah. And we get the reveal that Scaramanga was actually there and watching Bond do all this. Yeah. And High Fat meets up with him and, yeah, it turns out Scaramanga and High Fat did meet, which I think is weird because it goes back to what I was talking about before about this element of this film about Scaramanga being hidden just kind of doesn't really work. And this is kind of part of it. Like, yeah, Scaramanga and High Fat just do know each other and do see each other. There's no effort to... Have he been hidden? High Fat just knows what he looks like. Mm. Yeah, I don't get it. I don't get the point of all this. No, I did actually. I mean, while I was watching this, I did forget that Scaramanga was there in real. Like he was actually there. So that was a bit like, oh right, yeah, that didn't that whole that whole disguise and and what I just said that didn't actually work, <laughs> which is quite funny. Oh yeah, but they just completely set it up to be a trap. Not very good trap. We find out. But it's totally just like, yeah, we know it's Bond. We don't care. And and this goes back to what I was saying about how like this whole film, Scaramanga is actually kind of just in control of a lot of this stuff. And Bond mm. is just kind of lost, just trying his best. But Scaramanga is just one step ahead of him, like the entire step of the way. Yeah. Which is a pretty good way to set up a, a Bond villain, I suppose, um, by having him just kind of be ahead like this and seem quite intelligent they don't really focus on his intelligence but obviously he's quite smart and very capable and, and things like that there's some nice things that happen in the film with yeah him. so this then cuts to later at night where bonds in the white tux hey it's the white tux a black bow tie black trousers no red flower though no and I think this is what I think of when I think of the white tux, which feels a bit odd now that I say it out loud, that the man with the golden gun. But I do think Roger wears it better than Sean. 
Yeah, I, I would have to agree. I think he does look very good here. Hmm. Do we see it again? Do you know? Um, I don't know if we see it again. Oh, oh would you mean just in, in Roger Moore's films? Yeah, yeah, just in Roger Moore's oh. films. Oh, I, I'm sure we do. I'm sure at least one more time. I hope, I hope so. so anyway, yeah. So then Bond is leaving his hotel and Goodnight is there and there's a bit of... I didn't write down any of this dialogue because the dialogue is so kind of clumsy between Goodnight and Bond. It goes back to what I was saying where they don't really know what their relationship is or there's like an established relationship kind of, but you don't get a good sense of it. And they just go back between flirting and then just kind of being annoyed. Mm -hmm. But I do kind of like the idea of this character in some respects of this kind of Bond girl who's just kind of a bit useless, but there's a bit more self-awareness about it that she's trying to get with Bond and just always kind of misses out and just kind of messes up. I feel like there was a lack of self-awareness with some of this stuff with the other Bond girls we got, like in the last film. I think Goodnight, they did a little bit of a better job. It's just so confused in terms of the tone and nature of their relationship and the fact that she is actually supposed to be the main Bond girl, which is where I think her character kind of falls down, ultimately. Yeah, I, I think you're spot on. It's just, like it's just it's just bad writing at the end of the day. Like the thing with this character is that she's meant to be this. She's meant to be another operative, right? Or she, she's at least she's at least there as as intel, and she's just terrible. And it's like, well, you could say we've had that before in some some situations where it's not it's not very believable that they're in a situation they they're in. Like with the last film, you're you're, you're led to think that Rosie was actually from the CIA. Um, even though she ends up working for Kananga, but like she was terrible as well. <laughs> like you have all these these uh, supposed agents or whatever, and they're just all crap. Well, when I think of Goodnight, I kind of push that to the side. To be honest, I don't think of her as a as an agent. I mean, she is, but I don't really kind of judge her on those merits because she's so obviously not very good but at the same time like rosie was awful because she did the whole i'm so bad at this humph and then james having to help her out and it's just like oh god i hate that stuff uh where good night kind of doesn't do that she's just a bit useless and just kind of laughs it's like ha, yeah whoops <laughs> um, <laughs> tries her best and just kind of messes up and i find her a bit more likable because of that because she is trying and kind of a bit more good-natured about it where rosie was yeah more like a pounty teenager and stuff like that so I would put Goodnight above Rosie in terms of Bond girls. And I like her a bit more than Tiffany Case as well. But Tiffany kind of, they had her be one thing and then turned her into something else. And I didn't really like either versions of them. So Goodnight is just kind of consistently not great, but at least somewhat self-aware of it. I just, yeah, the thing that is when M says, oh, you know, take take Goodnight with you. I was like, do you, you, if you knew what Goodnight was like, you wouldn't be saying that, M. Come on. Mm, yeah, sending her with Bond seems like a interesting choice. Yeah. So, again, I, I like this scene where Bond is basically kind of saying, you know, the dialogue clumsy, but the actual joke of, oh, we'll go get dinner later tonight or something like that. And she's all happy about, oh, dinner with James and stuff. And then Bond gets into the car driving by Hip. And then in the back is Hip's nieces, these quite young girls. And then they drive off and then Goodnight's all mad and gets all huffy about it because Bond gets in a car with some teenage girls, which has some creepy connotations there, sure. Yeah. Um, 
I think the, I, I I like the idea of that kind of. I didn't quite get the what her because he says something about you know keep the drinks cold and the food warm or something. Oh, I don't know. No I, 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 there was like a, there was she says something when like at the end of the scene, and I don't know whether that was meant to be. I don't. Know, just another example of me not liking her. <laughs> it's just anything she says, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I mean, I have a hard time fully justifying it. I just feel like the idea was there for some like a quite funny, enjoyable character that kind of plays on the tropes, and it's just more clumsy writing that jumps all over the place like with some rewrites and some retweaking i think they could have had a really kind of funny self-aware point the finger at itself bond girl and they don't pull it off but i I think i kind of like the attempt i would have this is jumping ahead a little bit but whilst we're just talking about goodnight i would have liked if she had a bit of redemption at the end of the film but she just stays being like just basically causing problems. Uh, if she'd have done something at the end, it'd be like, oh wow, like actually she just saved the day, or <laughs> maybe not her saving the day, but she did something that made me feel like she was worth being there. There's just nothing. You mean if her butt saved the day rather than ruined it? If her bottom just wasn't as as big and didn't press that button, <laughs> we would have been fine. I, w- I wouldn't have hated her so much. Hmm. <laughs> but. Yeah, so Bond gets in the car with Hib, who has the nieces in there, which is a bit odd, uh, but it's for another joke. A lot of this film is setting up for jokes. Uh, But they're just in the back, chatting and laughing, and Hib drops Bond off. Oh, the excuse is that he's like, oh, I gotta give my nieces a lift. Don't worry about it. And then, yeah, he just drops Bond off and then drives away. So Bond is there in, in his suit and things like that and says, yep, I'm Scaramanga, let me in at High uh, Fat's place and starts walking through the garden that he was walking through before, but this time it's at night. And we see a load of kind of creepy... I put dolls down. Maybe they're mini statues? Yeah. Maybe it's better term. Yeah. Uh, all with masks on and kind of... It's quite a gruesome scene where it's all these people not wearing much, kind of stabbing each other. Um, while they've got all these masks on and we zoom in on one of them and it turns out one of them's real and it's knickknack oh my goodness <laughs> in like a loincloth and a mask holding a spear um, which leads to bond kind of going further in so he walks past them and we see two sumo wrestlers also kind of posed as statues but very like so obviously real like yeah. I'd never bought that that was a sumo statue in front of Bond. No. Uh, so they just they they pretend they're statues and then just start moving, and then they just go over and just fight Bond. Yeah. So I guess there is another kind of fight scene in this film, or maybe more than I was thought. I was thinking. I do like how uh, Bond just he just tries to walk past him. <laughs> yeah, it's like pleasant evening. Yeah, it's, yeah, very nice, and just carries on walking. It's that it's that sort of tone that we mentioned in Live and Let Die, where he just goes with it. You know, he's, he's not going to worry too much. And then yeah, like they obviously stop him, and they do start fighting. Um, and this is another one of those scenes that is just played for pure comedy, really, isn't it? How this how this scene ends out, how he how he ends up overcoming the sumo wrestlers. Or is, I guess is it just one of them? It's two. But so he gives one of them, basically he gives one of them a wedgie. <laughs> Let's just cut to it. Like he gives yeah. one of them a wedgie using like the sumo thong or whatever that is. I don't know what you call them. What happens to the other one? I don't remember. He like knocks it, knocks him back. But this is another fight where there's just a lot of chopping going on. 
a lot of the yeah. old judo chops. So maybe he just judo chopped him, but I I don't know. Hmm. Okay. I mean, it's it's um, it's another it's another very big like close up shot of a bottom at least. <laughs> film, that's two now. This film's had. Oh, there's so so much bad stuff. <laughs> there really is. Wow. Oh, it's number one then. There we go. <laughs> let's cut to the end of the podcast. Yeah, let's save us all a little bit of time. But <laughs> but yeah, this fight's so whatever. Like it's another whatever scene. Like how much you enjoy this fight is more like how hilarious you think it is for Bond to grab a sumo guy's butt and then give him a wedgie and the guy to be like, ooh, it's like it's just not funny though. <laughs> like it's these not Bond really. films can be funny. But when they do these exaggerated kind of bits like this, it just, it never works for me. This is a bit too far, even for me, I'm going to say. Even for Joe? Even for me, yeah. Wow. No, you don't like Goodnight? You don't like Wedgies? What what happened? I don't know, because I, I, do, I, I think I thought I liked this film. I don't know what happened. You, maybe you grew up, Joe. Oh, that's sad. <laughs> Maybe you're going to like Spectre. Maybe that's what this is foreshadowing. I, Joe, you know what I would like that. I, I want, I, I want to, I want to like things more. So, maybe I just need this as a change of heart. That's nice. Uh, maybe next week you'll like things more. I think that's pretty. Oh, I certainly hope so. Yeah. Uh, but this ends with, so the suit. Yeah, he takes care of the sumos, but then Nick Knack comes from behind and knocks him out. Hmm. And then Nignac's all like, come on, get him, pick him up. So the sumo wrestlers then kind of pick him up and put him down. And Nignac looks so stupid here. Like, this is more just kind of comedy, just having a midget in a little mask with like a spear, not wearing much. I, I think you're meant to laugh at it, but it's like, so stupid. Especially because it's, it's, a, it's, uh, it's a trident as well. It's like, yeah, it's such a... A strange visual, but yeah, yeah, and I guess that's the point. But yeah, Nick Nat goes to kill him, of which High Fat then shows up and says, "No, no, you're not killing anyone in my garden. You're not doing it on my property," and says, "Go take him to school," which we don't know what that means. But then we cut to the next scene where Bond is being tended by a load of young, lovely Asian women, mm-hmm. of yeah. which he confirms or says it's heaven definitely heaven yeah it's getting all pampered and like bathed and massaged or all sorts of stuff having a great old time so yeah in in this scene it's uh soon revealed that bond is in some sort of is it a dojo is that the right word? i would call it a dojo is karate i think it's supposed to be okay i'm not too sure i don't think they have a say right yeah some sort of martial arts school anyway um, and he's sort of at the end of it, and and in front of him is this big, uh, like kind of ground, and all these students and people come out of the end and, and go to sit down, and yeah, it's clear that there's some sort of some sort of act going on, or something's going to happen, and, and Bond is just left there with the women to to watch it all unfold, and you get um, you basically get a few different rounds of these students fighting. There's a, this one master looking guy at the, the end who who kind of uh, like gives them the, the nod and everything um i'm trying to remember the order of it so i think at first it's like two guys with swords go up and start fighting yeah um which 
I was I was trying to keep an eye on this. I think that is actual. Like, I think that's real. Like I was trying to work out like is that actual? Is that like soft, like fake swords? But I I think it is real. I don't know. It felt real. Like it looked really impressive how quickly these two guys were fighting with these dual swords. Yeah, completely pointless. But it looked good. Yeah, it's one of the, it's one of these scenarios where they've clearly they're in this this country, they're in this situation, so they they're just going to use people that know what to do. I'm trying to think of past examples, but they do it all the time. Especially, it might have even been in You Only Live Twice, where they had like some sort of ninja stuff going on, and they it was just people actually knowing how to do this stuff. And it's the same thing here. Like, and, and for the, on that level of stuff, it's impressive. Like, yeah, like you say, like it's really quick, and they're doing all these jumps and dodging and stuff. Um, and then one of them eventually kills the other one or stabs him. I'm pretty sure he dies from that. So they, they take him out. And then there's another one with this. No, it's not Chula. Chula's the last one. There's another guy that comes up um, or is invited to stand up. And this is where it's revealed that Bond is now the one who has to go up to uh, up to the plate and take part. And... Um, I actually I was quite surprised by this because, yeah, you get Bond walking up and you, and you get um, the other person, the other student there, ready, ready and waiting. And given the situation, they have to bow to each other before they start the fight. And straight off the bat, Bond just kicks him <laughs> as they're bowing, <laughs> as they're bowing. When he's caught off guard, he just gives a big old kick to the face, uh, which. Really reminded me of like Indiana Jones, right? You know the scene with the Indiana Jones and the sword fighting, and then he just shoots him. I was like, oh man, they 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 um they must be like like an Indiana Jones type of joke. But I was like, actually, wait, this would have been this would have been way before Indiana Jones. So it's kind of that that gag anyway. Um, oh, this was hilarious. That really made me laugh because you do think now there is a problem with this scene where it's just so bloody long and drawn out. But that does kind of work to his advantage for this one because there's such like kind of like, oh, like how is Bond going to get out of this one? Does he just know karate? Is he going to start doing flips? But mm. no, he just, as soon as the guy starts bowing, Bond just just kicks him right in the head and knocks him out. It's yep. it's brilliant. I really liked it. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great little it's a great little scene. Uh, although it doesn't really last for long. Yeah, then there's another guy that comes out. It's this guy who's near the front dressed all in black. I think his name's Chula. That name stands out to me. Uh, he's like the tough one. And so he's then invited to start fighting Bond and like how, you know, they're bowing again, but they're clearly, he's like clearly looking up at Bond, not wanting to make the same mistake. And they have a fight. I really can't say much about this fight. I actually don't remember it at all, really. I don't know if there's anything that stands out to you. Uh, not really. I mean, it's quite an even fight. And I don't think they're really doing proper karate. I want to say maybe Roger Moore was doing some of this stuff, but that can't be right. Like, I didn't notice the guy playing Bond being an actual kind of stunt actor at any point. Yeah, I didn't... That's actually something I noticed as well during this film. There were some parts that I just immediately would have assumed is not Roger Moore, like where this scene goes on to in in the boats. But it is. (laughs) So that's... We're not at that stage yet where, you know, Roger Moore's not quite old where they they replace him for every single scene where he has to move somewhat fast not quite there yet no like yeah and i think it was just him which kind of does it's always nice when that happens and it does kind of add to this whole i don't know 
Bond not being this master combat guy, or at least Roger Moore's version, just kind of more stumbling and kind of getting his way through it. Uh, I do think that works. And I think it works for this fight as well. But yeah, I, I just need to say this whole scene just goes on for so long. And yeah. it's this is so such a padded scene. And you know, to reiterate again, just like Live and Let Die and just like this film, this film should have been edited down and this is a fil- scene that should have been edited down. Like, it's really funny to have this big, long build-up to this fight and then Bond just kick the guy in the head, but it's not worth, like, five minutes of my life seeing everyone one by one come out and sit down and then the master comes out and then the other guys come out and then Bond gets a cup of tea. And it's just like, why <laughs> why are we watching all this like it's just not worth it like this should have been half the length like have it in there sure but it should have been half the length easy yeah so it should have this the way he gets out of the dojo should have been after he kicks the first guy like we didn't even need this last fight really even though yeah just bow and as soon as he bows he jumps out the window like that would have been pretty funny in itself i I still want the kick bow bow kick run bow kick run (laughs) yeah bow kick run but yeah so he fights um this the guy in black um as you say it's quite an even fight although eventually bond gets the upper hand and punches him or kicks him or something rather and takes that as an opportunity to jump out the window uh, of this school where it just so happens perfectly timed hip and his nieces pull up um in the car and as you say that whole thing with the nieces was a was a big setup for exactly this scene because all the students come out um like getting ready to fight uh bond hip and and uh so bond's like out the way girls sort of thing you know, i'll handle this and then the gag is that oh actually their uncle or something was a martial artist and taught them so they end up being amazing and taking out all these guards and oh sorry all these students and uh same with hip taking out loads of people and bond doesn't really have to do much he's just standing there in the middle of it all um it is it is silly and it's almost the fact that you that you, you, know, you see the set setup of it, and it's so ham fisted in there, is kind of bad, but I still kind of like it. I do still kind of like it. Mm, yeah, I kind of like it as well. It's not making me laugh all that much and stuff, but for a film like this that is so clearly going more for the comedy, it's like an enjoyable little moment. I think the fact that you actually get to see this karate being pulled off helps. Like, it does seem like they actually do know karate and they are actually fighting people. It's not just these weak kind of fights. It is people actually, you get a bit of a, a brawl between all these people. So there's mm-hmm. at least some sort of payoff there, action-wise. Yeah, definitely fun, for sure. And I think at this point is where we get a remix of the main theme or we hear the Man with the Golden Gun theme for the first time. Oh, really? For the first time? Oh. I didn't notice it before this point, but we definitely get it here. Oh, okay. I, I didn't, yeah, you're pro- probably right. It might have been elsewhere, but I think this is the first obvious time because, yeah, they knock everyone out, but there's still a group of people led by the guy in the in the black robe. So they, they run off uh, and are, are being chased and they play this remix of the theme. And... <laughs> As they're all being chased, uh, Hip and the Nieses get in the car and Bond just doesn't and they just drive off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It just looks so defeated. Yeah, 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 poor Roger running after the car. The Nieses freaking out at Hip. I'm assuming they're saying go back for him. But Hip just buggers off 
And then that's it. Bond's just completely left behind. Yeah, that's never really explained why Hip never comes back. Yeah, I don't think he's a double agent. Oh, now that would be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it made me laugh, so I don't mind. The visual of the nieces in the back freaking out with Roger Moore just behind them. <laughs> just <laughs> struggling. <laughs> wait, wait for Roger. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so they drive away. So basically, our Bond's on foot and he has a load of karate masters or whatever. Everyone else is chasing him. So he just kind of runs away and there's a river nearby. So he jumps into a boat and they catch up with him. So to hold them off for a bit, he takes the... The bit of the boat where the motor is, where the propeller, yeah, propeller, and takes that out of the water, turns it on, and then like shoes them back with it. So they're spinning this propeller. Then he's kind of going back with them, and and I don't know if I wrote this down right because he says something, and I'm pretty sure it's completely stupid. Where he's in the boat and they're there trying to get him, but can't get to him. And he says, "It looks like we have a Mexican screw off." Yeah, that I, I did not get that at all. It is screw off, he said, right? Yep, and I can confirm that because I watched this with subtitles on. Oh, good. I just, okay, I, I didn't get it. But yeah, I don't get it. Like, obviously, Mex- Mexican show off, and it's a pun of that. But where does the screw come into it? Well, I, yeah, like it's Joe. You know I don't even. I don't. I don't care. <laughs> he doesn't care. <laughs> I just don't care. That's a good sign. <laughs> number one in my rankings. <laughs> number one. I didn't care. So it goes number one. Um, but yeah, so basically, eventually he just puts the propeller back in the water and the boat goes. So he's off on the boat and everyone's running along the side of the river trying to get him. But quite shortly afterwards, the boat breaks so Bond is there trying to fix his boat. And we see a kid on a nearby boat on like a boat full of tourists. And he has this little elephant statue. And he just keeps saying like, Mr. Elephant, 80 bucks. 80 bucks, you buy elephant. And everyone's just ignoring him. So he jumps off that boat into the water. And then swims up to Bond's boat as he's trying to fix it. And just does the same thing to him like, Mr. Elephant, 60 bucks. And then he's like, ah, you're good looking, just for you, I'll bring it down, 20 bucks, just for you. Of which Bond says, I'll give you 20,000 bucks if you can make the boat go faster. Of which the kid then just moves like one little hatch. Yeah, just like releases some fuel or something. Yeah, just a very easy little thing, and it starts working. He gives a big grin, it's like, yay, I'm going to get 20 bucks. And Bond just pushes him in the river. <laughs> uh, this, away. this is why the film is number one. <laughs> Yeah, so good. Like, a proper like face face push into the back into the water. Love it. Yeah, just no consideration. Just like, oh, I'm done. Out, off you go. <laughs> he's just shouting in the water. Oh, my twenty bucks, twenty thousand bucks. You owe me if money. If there's one thing I like to see in films, it's annoying children get get bullied. So <laughs> <laughs> there we are. Thank you, Roger. Hmm. I mean, we've seen similar comedy to this of Bond just being quite bullish i guess quite quite brutal to the point for comedic effect yeah this is another one that works so bond is able to ride off on his boat and he is going very quickly and he splashes a nearby boat full of tourists um and it pans over and look who it is it's none other than the beloved bond (laughs) character (laughs) 
Of J Jaws. W. Oh, <laughs> well, it's got J W in it. No, uh, J W Pepper, Sheriff J W Pepper, who we saw in the previous film in the Louisiana Bayous. But he's back and he's on holiday with his wife. Just so happens to be in the same place at the same time as Bond in Bangkok. How's about that? Uh, okay. So let's just quickly have you know. Let's just go over what happens in the scene. Um, Bond. This whole scene, right, which is meant to be one of the kind of main action scenes of the film, because there aren't many, as I've said before, um, is not very interesting. It's, it's really just Bond driving around on this boat, um, pulls a few tricks like hiding and stuff like that. Well, that's how it ends in that, you know, trying to trying to out, out chase these bad guys. Um, but he ends up. He ends up just uh, what is he, he? He like hides and then they're there and then he like smashes through the boat yeah so he's on a motorboat so then he gets yeah so when it's on they can just know where he is so he turns it off and then yeah drives in the middle of it because it's a wooden boat and that causes them to sink yeah so that's how he got rid of them back to jw pepper uh all whilst this is happening is yeah he's on the boat he's with his wife and then at some point they get off the boat and the wife wants to buy one of the little elephants and god and then there's just this whole scene with jw pepper and then an actual elephant next to him finally uh, yeah finally it's what the audiences have been asking for um i'm glad sean connery's still getting work <laughs> <laughs> oh um, but yeah like this elephant is 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 like putting his trunk in his pocket and everything and so what makes the scene so awful and i didn't i think i might say i didn't mind jw pepper in live and let die like it was the scene that he was in with the, the speedboat chase was long but i think he was okay really i never really got why people disliked him so much now i get it because he is just terrible in this film and the main reason for that is because well at least from my opinion the main reason for that is because okay in the first in living that die he was annoying but he was annoying a in america like b in his own environment here he just looks like a terrible human being because he's in you know as a tourist in this other country and he's just constantly constantly yelling at everyone and and calling them and i had to make i had to google this right because i I wanted to make sure that we weren't going to say something inappropriate on this podcast so just fair warning i did i did my research it's not a slur at least i don't think it is but he calls everyone pointy heads and i was like oh god i thought he was referencing you know those specific type of hats that get associated with like Chinese stereotypes. I thought that's what that was. Well, the see that would make sense. That's why as I was watching, I was like, "Oh God, this is so bad. This is terrible. Please get him off screen." It's just because he says it numerous times in the film. Um, but then I googled it, and the only thing that comes up on Google is about this film. So I oh, don't right. know. Yeah, I was quite surprised by that. But either way, it's not. It's not nice. It's not a pleasant thing. And he just looks like such a jerk. I, I so yeah. That's kind of he does come back in the film, but I totally get why people dislike this character because here he's just unbearable. Well, it's interesting because, like you say, yeah, live and let die. He's the sheriff, a Louisiana sheriff, and they just kind of play him up for laughs. But the context of this film is that they brought him back just to kind of like he they took him out of that context. Yeah. And I guess for he was such a great comedy character that he worked in any situation. You know what they say about comedy characters, like, you know, you if you write a good enough character, like 
Mr. Bean, right? You could put him in any location and comedy will kind of naturally happen just due to due to that character. Mm-hmm. And he's treated the same way. Like, he's back, everybody. It's J.W. Pepper on the A boat. Round of applause, everyone. <laughs> yeah, like he's treated like he's this great character. And I guess the idea is that you're supposed to be excited to see him and laugh at his antics. And it so falls flat. Like, who on the staff thought, yes, this guy is hilarious. Like, maybe if they brought him back for, like, one quick gag. Like, I think just splashing him with water and being annoyed. And if that was the only bit we saw, that would have been quite funny. Yes, I totally agree. But we get this scene and we get another scene with him as well. And yeah, it's just kind of way too much. It didn't really bother me too much. I like I would definitely prefer it wasn't in there. But I'm kind of in the same mind about this and Live and Let Die where it's like... It, at one point, if you asked me a few years ago, I probably would have been ranting and going crazy about this because overall it is terrible. But I have kind of just like... I'm going to put a Joe and say, just don't care that much. (laughs) (laughs) That's my catchphrase. Yeah, I just don't care anymore. Uh, Uh, But it's, yeah, so it doesn't bother me too much. But yeah, when you think about it, it's terrible. And the way they treat this character with such kind of regard as a comedy character is absolutely insane. I don't mm. care if it was the 70s. Like, was there, was it a gas leak or something? Like, this can't (laughs) have been accepted and thought this no this is hilarious and great i think what makes it worse for me is is as i say like in live and let die i didn't find him that bad so i was like oh phew you know that was okay actually and then when i thought of this film before watching it i thought uh, you know i remember the stunt the car stunt that we're going to get to eventually oh that was cool and i know that jw's in that scene and that's i didn't mind him there i forgot that there's this bit and that's why i was like oh damn okay he does suck so that's that's oh, I'm a little bit more disappointed than than maybe you, but anyway, let's move on. Let's move you on. You had high JW. hopes for J. I did. I thought I thought it might be a bit more a bit redeemable, but he's really not. Hmm. So eventually, he calls an elephant ugly, and the elephant pushes him into the river. <laughs> he uh, falls in the water. That's good funny. stuff. Yeah. Uh, so Bond gets away. Basically, he's on his boat and drives away. That like the actual scene is very short, which is nice. When you say boat chase and J.W. Pepper, I'm getting flashbacks, but this was very quick. Like, most of this scene is actually just J.W. Pepper and his wife buying elephants and hanging out with an elephant. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then we cut to Scaramanga uh, at High Fat's, uh, well, where we saw before, and basically in High Fat's office, where Scaramanga basically mocks the martial arts score, saying, Yeah, great job, High Fat. Yeah, they really got him. Um, because they know that Bond got away and they failed. So High Facts is, or High Fat, sorry, is explaining that, yeah, I'm done. I'm going to go into hiding. I'm just trying to save my own skin here. I don't want any part of this. If you've got any sense, you'll go into hiding too. And then, hold on, which way around? Who has the Solex first here? Uh, High Fat does. He gets out of his safe. Yeah, so yeah, High Fat is emptying his safe, gets the Solex and... Haifa is basically saying to Scaramanga, like, you work for me, I, I pay you, you're, I'm the boss here. And Scaramanga's is like, yep, sounds good, mm-hmm, yep. Uh, <laughs> but we see that Scaramanga had, like, a lighter before, and he's turning this lighter and disassembling it, and then reassembling it into the golden gun. Um, oh, that's what the golden gun is. I d- oh. 
That's the guy. That's the man. That's the man. And that's, that's the, the gun. Right. That's what Lulu was singing about. Let's bring her back. Come on, Lulu. Lulu, one more time. Dun-dun-dun-dun. <laughs> uh, okay, go away now. <laughs> yeah, bye. Uh, yeah, so then Scaramanga smiles and says, ah, this isn't, it won't be a problem. I can't remember exactly what Haifat says, but responding to him. And then shoots Haifat and, and kills him. And then he, he calmly puts the gun away and someone comes in and says, oh, what happened? What happened here? And Scaramanga's like, oh, I guess I'm the new chairman of the board. I've taken over this company. So I wanted to know, how did you feel about the whole golden gun being able to assemble it out of like spare parts? Well, not spare parts, but like different objects. Well, that's the thing. That's that's one of the things that I think a lot of people remember about the golden gun is that, yeah, it's a pen and it's a lighter and it's this and it's that. Having rewatched this, that's really not an element in this film, like, at all. I, 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 you would have thought, with that being the aspect to it, there would be a scene where Scaramanga has to sneak in, or, like, I don't know, someone checks Scaramanga for a gun, and they don't find it, so they let him in, and then that's how he makes it and does a shot or something. But that's, that doesn't exist. Like, this is the only time when you really see the gun being assembled like that. And so... It's like one of those things where I think people actually may be misremembering it a bit and they actually go back and, and watch the film. And it's Yeah, there's really not much to it. I think it's just a strong enough concept, isn't it? It's a cool concept, but I wish it was actually part of the plot. Yeah. I mean, we do see it once again, but this is the only time where we actually see that process. And I do appreciate that. Like, it's cool seeing the actual process of Scaramanga sitting there and actually putting this together nice and slow and calmly as well. It's another calm villain sort of trope. Hmm. Um, but it does make the gun look a bit weird, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. It has a very distinctive look, but because it has to have been assembled from like a lighter and like a pen or something like that, yeah. it's a few different parts. It does mean it looks a bit weird. So I wouldn't say it kind of looks cool. It's definitely iconic, but it looks a bit odd because of all these parts. I think uh, at least more like these days... Um, people might think of the Golden Gun more with Goldeneye. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And like the, so. the one the one shot, one kill thing, which, you know, is in this film. Like, it only takes one bullet, is what he says. But, yeah, I think a lot of people, when they think of Golden, the Golden Gun, they think, oh, yeah, multiplayer on Goldeneye. <laughs> yeah, so I like the Golden Gun. Um, yeah, I think Scaramanga as a character kind of sells it a bit more, right? Like maybe yeah. somebody else with the golden gun, it wouldn't work so much. But because it's Christopher Lee assembling this and having fun shooting it, it definitely elevates it a bit. Yeah, and you have a cool line at the end of the scene, just because Christopher Lee has such a good, strong voice where he, I think he says something like, no, he always did like that mausoleum, put him in it, and he just walks off. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's just like the deep voice, the way he says it, it's so good. Yeah, it's like menacing, but it's not super menacing. It's like... Yeah, it's a really nice balance. After that scene, we cut back to uh, Bond at the hotel. And he's about to have dinner with... Good night. Good night's back, everyone. Hooray. Neat. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, they're sat outside. And there's some champagne brought over. Uh, Fuyuk. Fuyuk. Which I think ends up actually being quite nice. So there you go. Bond Bond needs to uh, expand his horizons. He can't just rely on the Bollinger all the time. But you mean uh, it ends up being nice. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So this no, whole no, thing. No, no. It doesn't, does it? 
Oh, I thought he. I thought he tries it and and it it tastes all right. I thought he tried it and was like, hmm, but just didn't. Oh, because okay. he says it again when he gets to his hotel room. I I took it that he was just so disgusted by all this. Well, I mean, the, the, given the scene where he is trying to sleep with Goodnight, and maybe he, yeah, maybe he's just playing it off. Doesn't want to hurt her feelings. Because I don't think if he enjoyed it, because he says it in the hotel, like he gets back to the hotel room by himself and mutters like "foo yuck." I don't think he would say that if he enjoyed it. Foo yuck. Yeah, I suppose that makes sense. I mean, it's and it is called name. yuck as well, so I think the whole <laughs> point is him saying "foo yuck." Is like, yeah, it's yuck. Yeah. Oh, I thought they subverted it a bit, but no, okay, I missed that then. Anyway, uh, you get this little scene between Bond and Goodnight, which uh, is just, it's just them two. It's basically Bond, you know, oh, we, you know, there's a bit of time to kill sort of thing and, and trying to put the moves on, on Goodnight. And as you said before, like, there's this, there's this uh, history that's sort of set up between these characters. So you, you, you think this is going to go somewhere, but then Goodnight kind of palms him off eventually and just, you know, I can think of better ways to spend my night rather than being your passing fancy or something, she says. And so she walks off and Bond's, Bond looks legitimately annoyed, like, damn, <laughs> I was really hoping for that. Um, and goes back to his hotel room and he arrives. That's when he's like, foo, yuck. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> It's such a silly nothing joke, but I, Bond just being disgusted by... I mean, I took his Bond being disgusted. It did make that, me laugh. That does make he, a lot more sense. Yeah. When he goes in the hotel and he's still thinking about this terrible... <laughs> like, Fuyak, what? what? If you're Why not going to do Fogger Martini shaking not stirred, just give him a drink he hates and let him, let him <laughs> not enjoy it. Uh, I think there's also a shot somewhere where you see Scaramanga's boat. I think it's not far away. Yeah, the junk. Uh, the junk, yeah. Uh, but then, yeah, it cuts back to Bond in the hotel room. And, hey, it turns out... This is another reason why I hate Mary Goodnight. Hey, it turns out she's there, actually. Um, she's in the room, and actually, she does want to sleep with Bond. And she says, like, oh, you know, did you like my attempt at trying to to say no or whatever? And, and it's just like, oh, what a pathetic character. <laughs> like, if you're going to try and do that, like, I don't understand what the point of that was. But, yeah, she's very quickly like, oh, James, sort of thing. And um, they start to canoodle when another lady comes in or at least someone starts to sh- uh, like twist the the handle of the hotel room door and um <laughs> i mean i should maybe i shouldn't be so annoyed at uh, uh good night because she does get like the short she does pull the short straw quite a lot doesn't she like so whilst this is happening bond sort of like shoves her under the covers and hides her uh and goes to see who's at the door and it's Anders, Anders, it's the lady that we've seen uh, blow, uh, Scaramanga's, I was going to say Blofeld then, uh, Scaramanga's <laughs> mistress, I guess. Um, she's there. And you get a little bit of, a little bit between her and Bond where it's revealed that actually it was her who sent the golden bullet with 007, you know, the initials on it uh, and an S because she wants out. Like she wants out of this situation she's in with Scaramanga uh, as as Tom said, like basically his prisoner. Um, so she wanted, she faked this whole set, like set up to try and get Bond to kill Scaramanga. That's the only way that she could be kind of set free. Um, and by doing that, she sort of promises 
because Bond mentions, okay, great, that's fine, but what about the Solex? Because you know that's that's what they're actually after at the end of the day. So um, he, she says, yeah, you know, I'll give you the Solex, all that sort of stuff. It's kind of um, there's some there's some dialogue in this scene where it's what she says, you know, uh, you can have me if you want, sort of thing, and it's like, oh, yeah, oh, sort of, yeah. But it's like, well, you're getting out of one situation to be in one like that. Like, what's what's going on? But um, the point is that, yeah, they she promises the Solex to Bond. Um, and so what they do is they get straight onto it. Well, she goes into the, the bathroom to get ready um, to sleep together. And so Bond just like quickly gets mid, uh, good night out of bed and, and ushers her into the wardrobe. And I don't just... get this bit because I got the feeling that she went to the door and Bond was like, no, 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 you're going in the wardrobe. Like it looked like to me, she was trying to leave the room, and Bond stopped her and shoved her in the wardrobe instead. Oh, that's I don't because know because she could have just left. Yeah, right? like, I, she, she had time. I don't. This is like it's just weird. So, you, if you actually think of what's going on here, Bond locks her in, or not locks her, but puts her in the wardrobe, and so she has to sit there and listen to them have sex. It's like, oh, poor lady, because especially has she's just she's just said like, oh, I've always dreamed of this Bond. I've, I didn't think this would happen that we'd meet again and she's wanted this. And now she's having to, you know, listen to that. It's like, oh, that's not very nice. Um, but it is a strange choice. I don't know why she didn't just go out the, the door. Yeah. But I think she got, it's, I think it's to do with Bond. I think it's just Bond being Bond. Mm. But I really don't like this scene. I think it's quite bad because yeah. it, it comes down to this woman, Angela, whatever her name is, I don't know. Like her character is just terrible and it's just... It's the same thing about the first scene where they're just trying to do too many things with this character and it makes Bond seem like an absolute creep and it just makes these uncomfortable where she's like, I want you to... like." I think the idea is pretty cool. The idea of Scaramanga has someone under control or is as a prisoner, basically, and she sends a signal to Dane's Bond to come and take him out because she says you're the only one that can kill him like that's pretty cool i like that setup but yeah, the fact yeah. that we then have to go to her saying like i've dreamed about you setting me free and stuff especially considering the last scene where he was like gonna break her arm and manipulating her and stuff like that it's just like you can't have it both ways you can't have them start that way and then come back and then she's just like falling into bond's arms it's just so creepy and i just this this might be the thing that bothers me the most about the film honestly and it might that might be more a personal thing but this character in the storyline is just horrible and i just hate the way it kind of plays out and these scenes just make me so uncomfortable mm. at least the actress got another chance uh you know because she's she's an octopusy as well so <laughs> she came back and had another go at least mm. i mean i will say she's not a bad actress i wouldn't yeah. say she'd be particularly good I don't think she's also bad. It's just she's given the, a bad character. Yeah, it's a bad character, bad writing, and Roger Moore is just not not great for this. Like, this is just terrible. I really got nothing nice to say about it. Yeah, kind of a. I mean, it's a, I wrote down in my notes like unnecessary scene. It is necessary in in terms of like you know they need to progress the plot with the Solex, but all this stuff about the wardrobe and and that it's just like oh could they not have done that a different way? But anyway, um, so yeah, the afterwards. Bond wakes up goodnight, and I think it had been like a couple of hours, uh, and kind of explains that, yep, we're, we're on track to get the Solex. Uh, Solex um, Anders has, has made a, a date to to pass it over. And then we get the, is it, 
Is there anything else before it goes on to the boxing match? Or is that yeah, so basically, yeah, so Goodnight fell asleep in there, which is quite funny. Yeah. And this is a time where Bond says darling. And I think the fact that he uses darling in this context of, yeah, I just completely screwed you over and shoved you in a wardrobe and had you sleep in there and then calls her darling is like, it's rude. But it's, <laughs> yes, it's very bad. bad. Um, but then we also get a brief scene of Scaramanga lying perfectly in bed like oh, a yeah. robot, basically. Yep. And Angie, I, I don't know her name, Angie enters and goes to the safe that's nearby, which has the Solex in, and basically says, yep, I'm putting jewellery in there. And that's kind of that. So basically implying that, well, there's a little bit of a hint that Scaramanga knows that something is up, but it's not confirmed. And then we basically see how she can steal the Solex because she has access to the safe and puts her jewellery in the same, way, uh, the same safe that the Solex is, is stored. Well, yeah yeah you're right i totally forgot about that scene but yeah because like he says like, oh you know you're back late so that's that's the the cue for like some suspicion there mm. so then yeah this cuts to uh a boxing well it's not really a boxing match is it? it's martial arts i'm not too sure exactly what mma or something maybe i think mma is quite new maybe i don't know mm. uh, but some sort of big match where there's a huge crowd everyone's screaming and cheering and things like that and two people fighting in the middle and the idea that Bond is going to meet up with Angie. <laughs> no, that's not her name. Uh, Angie and give get the Solex, basically. So Bond is there and we see Good Knight is nearby because, yeah, she's an agent, just to remind everyone. Um, <clears throat> she can't have been... She can't have had a good night's sleep. No, no. Maybe got a crick in the neck. Yeah. Maybe that's the explanation for some of her dumb decisions. She just needs a decent night's rest, <laughs> not in a wardrobe. Oh yeah, do you know what? That that makes me feel a bit better actually. Yeah. I mean she is called Good Night, so maybe that's an ironic name. Mm. Well, we all know why she's called Good Night for one joke at the end of the film. But, <laughs> um, oh yeah. But yeah, so she's on this sting watching and we see that uh Lieutenant Hip is there as well, disguised as a peanut salesman, so he's got a little hat, which is very cute, and he's got a little tray full of peanuts <laughs> and he's kind of walking around um so I just love that you're pointing out the hat. That's, it's just, a nice little hat. It's a nice hat. Hey, you look good. You look good there, Hip. <laughs> nice one, Hip. Uh, so Bond then goes and meets up with, with Angie and sits down next to her. And she seems a bit off, I think, even immediately before anything's confirmed. Something's not quite right. And then Bond starts talking because, again, he doesn't he's so oblivious to anything that goes on around him. And says, like, have you bought the Solex? until he looks at her closer and sees that there's a bullet hole in her chest. So she's not blinking. Her eyes are open, but she's sitting up straight, but she's dead, basically. Mm, that's uh, some very quick rigor mortis right there. I don't understand how she's still so upright, but there we are. Yeah, I'm a it's, bit conflicted a about it. It's... I think it is quite a cool little visual to have this someone who's just kind of dead like this, but yeah, you're right. It's, it doesn't make any sense that she would be standing upright like this, but the idea of Bond sitting next to someone... And, like, she's just dead. That's pretty hardcore, I guess. Mm, yeah. So Bond then kind of checks her handbag to see if she has the Solex and is like, Oh, darling, you're so silly. Oh, you forgot the tickets. Ha 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 ha. Like, just playing it off. And then Scaramanga just sits next to him. It's just right there. There's Christopher yeah, Lee. Right there. <laughs> yeah. And Nick Knack then shows up behind him with a gun, eating some peanuts. Because apparently, I think he like hid the gun in peanuts or something. He make Bond makes a comment about it. But 
hiding a gun in peanuts and that being a new one. And he really likes peanuts. He does. He's going crazy on those peanuts. Yeah. Uh, so Scaramanga then basically introduces himself straight up being like, I'm Scaramanga and talks about, I feel I really know you and, and things like that. Then Scaramanga basically starts going off on his backstory where he says, my only real friend was an elephant back in the circus. Oh, yeah. And explains his backstory of one, the, the reason he's an assassin and likes killing people is because his only friend in the circus was an elephant who then I think got killed or tortured or something. So he then killed the person who did it. And he was like, well, that's my favorite thing now. So now he just loves murdering people. Yeah, I mean, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, it's the old elephant friend's backstory. It's such yeah. a cliche. I've seen it so many times. I yawned, actually. Yeah, you're like, oh. <laughs> Openly yawned. Um, <laughs> but while this is happening, I think it turns out the Solex was actually in the bag. So Scaramanga knew this was all happening, but I think Scaramanga still let her steal it. Because as Bond emptied out the bag, the Solex fell onto the floor. Yeah. The very disgusting, disgusting floor. Peanut-covered floor. Yeah, like, yeah, like, oh, so gross. Whoever the set designer was really went all in to make this floor look as unpleasant as possible. (laughs) So Bond does the old classic, the old, I'm going to go and buy some peanuts and drop them so I can then go and pick up the Solex off the floor and then put the Solex on the peanut tray. Genius. Inspired. He does this a few times where he just accidentally or accidentally drops something just so he can kind of bend over. Like, he did it with the the golden bullet at the start as well. Mm. Like, he loves that trick. Hey, it works. Yeah. It's like, I mean, I think cats do it as well. I think cats love nothing. (laughs) Uh, yeah, so he knocks it over and basically he puts the Solex on the tray without Scaramanga noticing. Oh, I don't think he does. And that person is Hip. Hip is the one who came along. And I actually really like how this is shot because this all happens very quickly. Like, you get enough information to know that, yes, the exchange has happened and Hip now has the Solex. But they kind of shoot it very quickly just to kind of give it a good sense of the fact that Scaramanga maybe didn't notice it. Um, yeah. Very nicely edited. Yeah, and it's nice just to see them actually do something successful. As as M would have pointed out, like the, the mission has not gone very well so far. So it's nice to actually see, hey, something worked. I mean, not for, it doesn't last long, but something. Yeah, it actually went to plan. So the lieutenant then, or Hip, then leaves the place and meets up with Goodnight and says, here's the Solex, keep it safe. I got to go back and support Bond. There's a midget with a gun on him. <laughs> he needs help. Uh, of which good I just laughs at that, just finds that hilarious. Mm, yeah. So Scaramanga then kn- knows this is a bit odd. Basically, knows what the woman stole from him, but walks off anyway. Yeah. This is why I'm a bit confused. I don't know. If Scaramanga knows where the Solex is. But Scaramanga is shown in this film as kind of being in control and having all these plans and having them go quite well. But this time I'm not too sure. But he's like, yeah, I know who stole with him and leaves and is like, yeah, don't don't follow me as well. Yeah, I, I, I'm the same. I don't quite know. I mean, where this leads to, you know, why Goodnight gets captured, but I don't think he knew that she had it. So, but that's the thing is, as we said, he's, he's a very kind of, cool, calm and collected villain so far and 
that kind of just plays into this way. He's not really revealing much. He just walks off and, and that's it. I will say it was quite nice to have, because this is the first time the two characters meet face to face, right? Yep. And it's quite nice that this actually just ends with them just just walking, you know, he just leaves. Like, you really think, oh, no, there's the villain right next to Bond. What's going to happen? He's got no he's got no qualms. He's got no qualms with, with Bond. Like, he, as you say, like, he's sort of kind of, uh, he's a fond of him, you know. He's fond of Bond as a, as a fellow assassin that he would see him as. So it's kind of a, a refreshing change of pace where, like, yeah, the villain actually just walks off and doesn't doesn't really go anywhere. Hmm. It's definitely trying to harper back to the older Bond films, like that kind of back and forth we got with Doctor No, where there's just time where Bond and the villain just sit and talk, and Goldfinger as well, of course. So there's no real payoff to this scene. It's basically all about the Solex, and it leads into a big chase scene, sure. But this scene is just Scaramanga thinking Bond's awesome, and then Bond just trying to get this Solex and trying to get what he's here to get. But you get to hear him talk, and Christopher Lee, again, he's just so great at just, even though he's describing this ridiculous backstory, he really sells it, and he comes across as a little, you know, quite deranged here. Calm and in control, but also quite kind of deranged about how he loves killing people and, and things like that. And, you know, it's the fact that it's Christopher Lee. Once again, he sells it very well. And it's just nice that, yeah, it's a simple scene in terms of those two just kind of talking and trying to build it up, which is why I kind of said earlier in the podcast, I do feel like there is a decent amount of time with Scaramanga. It's just there's so much filler stuff that it does kind of make you kind of forget scenes like this, because when they do do these scenes, that it's pretty good. Yeah, that yeah, you're right. Yeah. So yeah, as we mentioned, Hip has given Goodnight the Solex, and I'm warned about there's a midget with a gun. Um, so where... Scaramanga and Nicknack eventually do leave. Uh, uh, Goodnight spots this and um, decides now is the best time to plant her homing tracker, which she did mention before. I think like something to do with one the dress she was wearing, and it's like, oh yeah, there's a tracker as one of the buttons, um, or a homer as she calls it. And so yeah, she decides this is the best time to 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 actually track these supposed bad guys that just had a gun on Bond. So as they're um, or as Nicknack's getting in the car. She sneaks behind and tries to put it in the trunk. And then Scaramanga just comes along and just chucks her in. <laughs> I love mm. how quickly he does this. It's just like one move and she's in and slams the trunk, um, the boot shut. Uh, obviously, while she still has the Solex. But she has got a walkie-talkie, so she is still able to communicate with Bond and Hip, who eventually work out what's happened and trying to find a way to chase after her because I think she knows the car or the, uh, the, the license plate or something she remembers. Well, yeah, um, she describes the car. And then as she's describing the car, it drives past Bond and Hib at the exact same moment. So they, they know who to chase. Right. And they're about to drive off, but then realize they don't have the keys because Goodnight has the keys. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a little bit, you know, do you have the keys? Good night. Yeah, they're right here. Oh, uh, so <laughs> <laughs> so instead, Bond just like runs around aimlessly for a bit, and you know, trying to keep an eye on the car as it's driving off, and eventually just you know spots this car uh, sales room behind him, and decides to steal the car from there. And so you cut to uh, JW's back hey. again, back again for round two. 
yes, it just so happens that J.W. Pepper is in this car wanting a little demonstration. So as Bond jumps in, uh, and yeah, Pepper's like, hey, you want to give this a drive? And he's like, sure, sure thing, sir. And so they smash out the front of this uh, sales room and they chase after Scaramanga. And um, we've made so many similarities to how that you know this is like live and let die. And I think this is... V- one of the most similar scenes because it's it reminded me a lot of well the the, the speedboat chase from Live and Let Die where we have a lot of this beginning uh, action scene with the car chase uh, but it's just in it's just no music um, it's not I, it doesn't really ruin it too much and it's not really an exciting chase anyway um, because it's yeah it's just cars driving on a road and and Scaramanga looking in the rearview mirror every now and then and looking, you know, keeping an eye on things. Eventually some police do get involved when they spot like the high speed chase. And again, they're not really a threat. They end up, I can't even remember how they're taken out in this. Do you remember? Uh, yeah. So I got it somewhere. Basically somebody crashes, but they crash. It might be because of JW actually. So somebody kind of crashes and then it blocks the road and then it causes all the police cars to crash into them so i think it's like jw's leaning out the window screaming and someone just kind of looks at him and gets distracted by it and then that causes them to crash which then blocks the road for the police right there you go amazing really <laughs> what a great stunt uh so yeah the chase goes on for a bit they keep, they're trying to keep on scaramanga's tail it eventually ends up in that they are on opposite sides of this canal or river or whatever it is um yeah, so Scaramanga's on one side. And I mean, I, I've I've deliberately not spoke about J.W. Pepper because he doesn't really do much. He's literally just yelling for, <laughs> yelling out the window for most of the scene. Uh, it's not as bad, I think, as the first bit with him, but it's still not great. Um, but we are getting up to like probably one of the most memorable parts of this film for a lot of people with uh, like the one cast on that everyone talks about. So yeah, Bond's on the other side of this, this river. How is he going to get across? I think at one point... Pepper says, like, oh, the nearest bridge is two miles back. So Bond spots this sort of dilapidated bridge that's that's sort of turned a bit in the middle and 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 broken in the middle completely. And you get you get the corkscrew car stunt where he drives over it and they did the stunt. You know, they actually did this stunt. I think it was like one shot, one take, and they nailed it, but this car actually does drive and does a 360 corkscrew and land on the other side and listen it's a really cool stunt but you know the, um, you know what i'm going to mention it's the one thing that everyone talks about with this this stunt is like the sound effect they used for it now i'm actually mm. going to say something controversial i actually didn't mind it <laughs> i didn't mind it i think people make a bit of a mountain out of a molehill of this like yeah, i it's think a city, when city you know effect. it's coming it's easier to just say all right i know they're going to play a slide whistle over this and it's done but whatever it's a cool stunt i'll focus on that but I think if you don't, and it's the first time you're watching it, then it's like, well, what what was that? Why did they play yeah, that sound? That is true. Although I do feel like if by this point you hadn't have kind of caught on that this film is, you know, very much leaning into the comedy, then I don't know what you've been watching. <laughs> but it is, it is, yeah, it, it doesn't ruin it for me, but it definitely is very, very noticeable. I mean, yeah, it's such a cool stunt. Like, that's the thing. Like, this is one of the best in all of the franchise, I would say. Um, which is why I think maybe people do focus on the whistle effect because it's like, man, this should have been one of the best. And it still is. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, I still like it. But you're completely right what you're saying, though. This is this film's equivalent of the boat chase from Live and Let Die. This is the same format and it has some of the same issues for sure. It's not quite as bad as that one for me because that stunt's really cool and mm. it doesn't go on for as long, but it has the same sort of general pacing where everything's just longer than it should be. Yeah. And yeah. I like some of these elements. Like I like the setting. I think that's pretty cool. And I like the way they have Bond drive so crazily. So you have Scaramanga and Nick in one car and they actually drive quite calmly. Like they're not going all over the place, but Bond is in the back just like going crazy in this red car. And I kind of like this more aggressive driving style they have for Bond. I don't think we've seen anything quite so aggressive in any of the other films until this one. Um, and mm. so it leading to the Colt screw kind of totally makes sense with the way Bond is kind of quite recklessly driving. But yeah, yeah it's just padded out in the same way the boat one was and has the same sort of pacing, which kind of sucks a lot of it out. Just like, just edit it down. Just get us to the key beats, get us to the key stunts, get rid of JW Pepper. (laughs) Of course, (laughs) Uh, it's just kind of too much. It just Guy Hamilton in these two films certainly has a way he likes to pace his, um, his chases. And I feel like even the diamonds are forever one. The one in Vegas is kind of similar. Um, and yeah. he does it the same way here, and it's just not a good way of doing it. So there's good parts of it. It's just yeah, it's just kind of let down just due to how how they put it together. Yeah, I would agree. I, I, yeah, I think it's it's not quite as bad as as the speedboat from Live and Let Die. No, um, no, but it definitely does follow that that template. Anyway, um, so they they make it over the the uh, the river with that cool stunt with the side whistle. Um, but by that time, I think you eventually see. Scaramanga and, and Nicknack in their car, they've they've driven and and snuck into this barn looking building. I don't know what it is exactly. But you see him drive in there and park and Nicknack goes out and pulls a lever or something like that. And you see something happening to the car. You can't really make out what's going on, but you see things moving and things attaching to it. Uh Scaramanga like flips, does a button and these dials flip on on the uh on the dashboard. Um so yeah, you know something's gonna happen or whilst Bond and, and Pepper are still catching up to them. So they eventually do, and um, you get them to, like, you get a little bit of a comedy moment. Well, it's meant to be comedy. <laughs> I say comedy uh, very loosely, with Pepper, like, trying to act like a proper agent alongside Bond and uh, shimmying along and trying to be quiet and, and everything um, as they get to the door of this barn that they're in. Um, they're also being chased by more of the police of the area, um who eventually do catch up with them and they do the same sort of gag with pepper being you know I'll I'll handle this you know I'm I'm the sheriff let me let me take care of this let me talk to these guys and they just arrest him immediately <laughs> like, mm. they just stick a handcuff on him straight away thank god because i think that's this is it now this is that's the end of jw pepper um so yeah he'll be sorely missed um, J.W. Pepper will not return <laughs> in The Spy Who Loved Me. I would have appreciated that at the end of this, just to be sure. Like, okay, phew, just want to double check. Um, and as they're arresting, as they're arresting uh, Pepper and, and Bond still trying to get into this barn, you work out what was going on with Scaramanga's car, and actually it was a big plane thing <laughs> that 
<laughs> I don't know how to describe it. It was basically just a set of wings. It's just wings, like giant yellow wings giant on the roof yellow of wings. the car. Yeah, they, they, they attached to the car and turned the car into a plane. And so kind of in a very Thunderbirds-esque manner, this uh, the bar, the doors drop down and everything opens up and there's like a runway. And, and yeah, they just they fly off in this car, this really stupid-looking car plane thing. <laughs> Well, that's the thing, right? It, like, you get the sh- like they did attach wings to a car, but it can't fly. So you just get shots of the car driving, and then it cuts to a little model in the sky, and mm. everyone on the ground just staring up at the sky to kind of set it. It, it didn't bother me too much how bad it looked because it didn't look great. I really like the shots of like Christopher Lee and Nick Knack driving the car so seriously and nonchalantly, <laughs> like. It means nothing. Um, you know, those shots were kind of enough for me to enjoy it. I mean, I really like the concept of this. I kind of like how it's... Um, we, you know, the parallel to Bond, where Bond has his, his Aston Martins and his gadgets, and, and hey, Scaramanga's got his own little tricks and, and, and inventions and stuff too. Like, he can pull some stuff out of the bag when he needs to. Uh, and I like that. I just It just doesn't look very good to me. Just... Uh, and not even like the model shots in the sky. I think you can get away with that. I just think as as a design, like these really ugly yellow wings on top of the car. I don't know. I feel like they could have... Like where this works is, for example, the Lotus Esprit, when that turns into a sub. I mean, it helps that a sub is... You can, you can blend that more easily into a car. But that is just a cool-looking vehicle, and therefore like it turns into a cool-looking little submarine. Whereas this just looks like a car with something bolted on top. So... I like the premise, but I think it could have maybe been designed better. Well, I think if you just switched out the colours, you would have been Yeah, that's there. a big thing. Yeah. It's a brown car. Like a brown car. <laughs> I know this was the 70s, but like a brown car. And then they attach <laughs> bright yellow wings to the top of it. So it's yellow and brown, which yeah. is supposed to be like this spy gadget that of a flying car. It's like, just paint it white or silver or something. Or black, you know, make it like a yeah, stealth black. thing. Yeah, yeah many different colors that would have worked rather than brown and yellow <laughs> i mean that is the 70s in a nutshell isn't it <laughs> oh so ugly yeah so yeah so they're flying away they're basically they've gotten away and we see good night on the walkie talkie because she's in the boot still they've, oh, they've yeah. kidnapped her basically so she jumps on the walkie talkie saying hey i think we've stopped moving i'm gonna try and get out so she picks the boot open and sees that she's in the sky flying what <laughs> yeah not today good night so just shuts it again <laughs> yeah that's kind of made me laugh i thought that was quite fun it's so like blatant in terms of being a comedy bit where she's like oh open because i think we've stopped but i don't know there's something funny about someone in the boot of a car flying in the sky and just opening it and just seeing that they're like miles above the ground i don't know i liked it would I have liked it more if she got sucked out? I don't know. <laughs> just, oh! <laughs> the end. Yeah, the Solex was destroyed. Was, yeah, yeah, the Solex was never found, and the energy crisis continued. <laughs> <laughs> James Bond will return. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that probably would have been better, but I do feel like this is a bit weird, though, because I, I am enjoying this like kind of campy, silly stuff more than you for this film. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's just the character I don't like. I, I do like a lot of the camp, but yeah, I am find, I am finding more holes in it than I thought I would. That's true. Well, what's that cheese with holes in it? There's 
uh, Edam. Edam? Yeah. yeah. I guess it's Edam cheese, this film. Edam. Edam. <laughs> okay, anyway. Who yuck? We're, we're, <laughs> we're criticizing bad comedy while coming up with some of our own, so that's good. Yeah. Hypocrites. Here's how you do bad comedy, Guy Hamilton. <laughs> so, and then we get another great shot. So it cuts to M with big old white wide eyes, visibly upset and mad and being briefed about what happened and basically saying, and then yes, yeah, Scaramanga then flew away in a car <laughs> and then <laughs> just, <laughs> he is, Q yeah. tries to chime in and it's just like, oh, shut up, Q. I love that. I love, <laughs> shut up, Q. He says it again later, just shut up, Q. <laughs> yeah, and then it's just like, oh, they found the car, but they, so they found the car, but they don't know where Goodnight has gone to. And then Q's like, it's perfectly possible for there to be a flying car and stuff. And it's just like, oh, shut up, Q. <laughs> M's blood pressure must be not great. <laughs> he's so mad. And it's just because Q keeps, it's that nerd thing again, isn't it? It's that character that they've really framed for him where he's just trying to be, like, very knowledgeable. So he just tries to speak. And in the other films, we get more eye rolls and just people walking away from him as he's talking. But now that he's in that room and M's mad, he's just like, no patience. There's no, no like, polite, like, hmm, yes, interesting, Q, dust. Yes, great. It's just like, just shut up, Q. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love Q, but uh, M shouting at him to shut up is so good. I'm, do you know what I'm, I'm realising more with this, this podcast is I'm liking M way more than I thought I did. M's great in these films. Oh yeah, like every scene. There's not been a bad scene with M. Yeah, I couldn't say that for like most characters, but M is is always on point. Oh yeah. So they basically say that. Well, somebody then comes in saying we found Goodnight's signal. So because Goodnight had the tracker initially, they were like it doesn't work. But someone then comes in and says we found the signal, and brings a couple of maps in, and says it's off the coast of mainland China in these kind of small islands. Of which Bond says, well, let's go in and get them. Let's let's go in. And the M's like, well, the PM would hang me for this. I can't do it. Of which Bond suggests, well, officially, you, you won't know a thing, M. And then it just ends. Uh, I kind of expected a little bit more back and forth. But it is just like, we should, Bond's like, we should do this. The PM's going to get me for this. And Bond's like, well, you won't know. I expected a little bit more back and forth, but I guess they just wanted to get to the finale. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're reaching that point now, like, speed up. <laughs> it's like they want to get this done. Yeah, because it is quite a long one, to be honest. So yeah, we just cut to Bond flying a plane heading to these islands. So it's kind of agreed that he could go. And we get another version of the main theme here. I mean, it's nice that they're remixing this theme. Uh, we get what we've had before where they don't just straight up play the theme. We get a few different versions and this is another one of those. I don't remember any of them at all, but we do get that Man with the Golden Gun theme, but remixed as we go. And, and we get another one uh, for this one as Bond is flying this plane heading towards the islands. Yeah. And and there's, there's some great shots of this, you know, the plane flying over these islands. We mentioned before how it's, it's an easy, it's an easy win for the filmmakers because it's such a interesting looking landscape vista so all they need to do is just record it they don't really need to do much more i think we said the same about like the alps and stuff like that um but yeah you can't deny that they they had a a good choice for for where to set the ending of this film 
Um, and I think even to this day, like the place where Scaramanga's meant to be is called James Bond Island. So oh, is it? It definitely left a like a, a tourism hotspot there. Well, it look yeah, it looks amazing. So basically, yeah. it's just two small islands next to each other, but they've got these very like tall rocks. That's not that's kind of underselling it because they're huge. <laughs> um, but there's like a load of trees on them as well. Just look it up. Don't don't listen to me describing rocks. Like go look it up. <laughs> uh, it, it looks amazing. Like as you yeah. say, and all the clear water around it as well, and other islands nearby. Like it's just a, a, like a perfect location. Uh, for a lair or a James Bond villain lair. Absolutely. But if you do want to hear me talk about rocks, that rock podcast, that's coming soon. Um, Am I on that one? No. (laughs) (laughs) We're still in negotiations on the rock podcast. Oh, okay, great. All right. It's called rocks. And then in brackets, not the music, the the rocks. (laughs) I can't wait to download that. (laughs) Somehow the episodes are longer than this podcast. <laughs> Impossible. <laughs> Impossible. It's a free parter, that one. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so Bond is flying over. And as you say, we get some great aerial shots. It's something that's been lacking from the series for a while, maybe since on a Majesty Secret Service. But we do get some really nice kind of aerial shots. Um, and it does look amazing, this place, as we say, with the, the islands themselves. But we see some Chinese soldiers, right? It's yeah, like they're the meant Red to be yeah, they're meant to be in Chinese waters, yeah. Yeah, so and then they radio Scaramanga saying there's a plane coming and Scaramanga replies saying, nope, that's all good, let the plane come through. Um, and then he says the plane won't leave. He will arrive, but he won't be leaving. Mm. And Bond then lands on the beach, basically. He lands on the water with the plane and lands on the beach, the same beach we saw from the very beginning of the film. And Knickknack is there with some lovely champagne for everyone to enjoy and yeah yeah go on i was was gonna say like it's still you know same thing as before making him carry these bottles and everything poor guy Mm. well this is what we're doing though like the whole beginning of the film started with knickknack bringing over champagne on this beach and we're gonna see this throughout this sequence at the end we're just seeing a lot of the parallels play out and they started straight away knickknack on the island with champagne yeah. Which is cool. So we then see a gun pointing out of somewhere, which then fires, and that fires the champagne cork and opens the champagne. And Scaramanga shows up saying, Ah, just having a bit of fun. I couldn't resist, but I really like that moment. It just shows that. Because we haven't really seen it all that much. You know, he's supposed to be a master assass- assassin with this golden gun. But we haven't really seen too much of it. We did see him assassinate someone, yes, but most of the shots have been quite basic. But they do talk about how he is good at shooting and things like that and difficult shots and stuff. But yeah. it's kind of nice to see an example of it in a more playful setting. Yeah, that was definitely... That's more um, visually interesting than shooting the fingers off of, of the Bond statue at the beginning. Like This one actually blends into the story nicely as you say it's a good good opportunity that tiny little thing but adds to the character hmm. but we get a little bit of a different version of scaramanga here so now it's bond knickknack and scaramanga hanging out and uh, as per usual scaramanga gives bond a tour of the island mm. uh, but we get a very happy upbeat scaramanga i really like this version of him where before he was a bit more calm and stuff but 
slightly deranged but kind of calm but here he's just like so happy to see bond like it's an old friend he hasn't seen in 10 years and it's just like oh welcome welcome splendid splendid and he's all like we have so much to discuss like let's spend a few pleasant hours hanging out which bond kind of agrees with but i really like this kind of change with him where he's just so happy that this is all finally playing out yeah i mean that's the thing right like he's his his giddy at the at the thought of what he's able to do now you know have this have this duel of bond eventually and it kind of yeah he's on his own island he's got everything he wants he's a happy man it's christmas for him basically i thought christmas came only once a year sorry (laughs) just whenever whenever i hear the word christmas in the sense of bond i just think of that awful line oh yeah of course (laughs) sorry oh no (laughs) i'm jumping way ahead there oh yeah Oh uh, yeah, so basically Bond and them are, are talking while he's super happy and uh, he's like, where's Goodnight? And he's like, ah, she's somewhere, she can't leave. We're on these islands, so she's about. So she know we know she's okay and has just been left to our own uh, devices. And he then explains about how this island is completely self-sufficient and everything like that. And we have ample supply of electricity here. And they step into this big, large power station, which is a solar energy station. Of which Bond then comments, this should run a few electric toothbrushes. Which <laughs> Good one, Bond. Yeah, nice one, Bond. Strong. Starting strong with this. I do uh, like this whole scene in, in where Scaramanga is is um, showing off all this tech stuff and, and just letting just letting Bond do what he wants, like giving Bond the uh, the satisfaction of sounding smart. And, and Scaramanga's like, oh, I... I don't know what they do, really. I, I, I think it's this thing, or oh, I, I think that's how that works. And just letting Bond be like, well, actually, yes, yeah, so helium and all this sort of stuff. It's just, it's really, he's just so teasing him at this point. Yeah, there's just two kind of types of confidence on display. Is how I kind of took it. Where, yes, Scaramanga owns all this. So basically, by becoming chairman of that company that he killed High Fat for, he now owns all this like technology and things like that. That's how he got it. Uh, but yeah, again, we get two t- different types of confidence, I feel like. Bond is doing the more traditional, oh, I know all of this stuff, and just starts saying all these facts about how power plants work. Uh, but Scaramanga has a nice confidence to him, where it's just like, I don't know, because I don't need to know. Um, mm. I think you're right, he's being playful with Bond, and kind of let him have his moment, because he wants to see the legendary 007 in action. Yeah. But I think like at the same time, it's just like, I don't care, I'm not going to learn this That's stuff, because life. I'm an assassin. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. my line i don't care yeah no you're, you're definitely right i mean it's it's great that we're seeing all this stuff of um of scaramanga now like yeah i mean he has been in the film more than i remembered uh, as you say but th- this is like this is the juicy stuff like, this is the best bit is is actually christopher lee and roger moore like in their element at the end here hmm. so we get one detail of bond which is important where they says there's all this liquid helium which is like minus 350 degrees, I, I think he says. Um, so that's something worth noting because that comes back later. Mm. Uh, but then they leave and they talk about what the plan is. And Scaramanga's like, yep, I'm going to get a load of people here to see the Solex because the Solex is here um, on the island as part of this power plant and give it to the highest bidder, basically, which Bond says well, maybe the oil people will want it off you just to keep off the market. He's like, yeah, I guess, I, I suppose, you know, that could be true. Um, and then they eventually get to this kind of where the Solex is, which Garamanga then activates it, 
where this solar panel comes out of this rock, which is so clearly fake, but it's like, it's fine. It, it does the job, yeah. Yeah, so it's this kind of actual rock, but they've kind of like superimposed this solar panel coming up out of it, but it just, it's fake. <laughs> fine, <laughs> but it, it's just not not real. Um, and we see, yeah, so the laser that like, when it, okay, I'm, I've got to make sure I get this right because it comes up again. So when he activates this and the solar panels come out and reflect the sun, that turns this all on, which shoots a laser into the solex and kind of generates the power. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, something like that. I don't know. It's it's that it's a typical end of end of Bond movie science spiel. But all you need to know is yeah, like there's a solex in there and that's <laughs> there's a big nasty beam that can appear. Yeah, you're right. But then we get another great moment with Scaramanga where he's just so happy, so happy with all this. And he's like, let me show you the power. And there's just a laser there next to him. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So he opens up all the the shutters and gets on his laser and big old grin on his face, moves it along, aims it at Bond's plane, and then blows it up with the laser. And Bond just looks slightly concerned, like, hmm, oh dear. Mm. Uh, and Scaramanga was like, "Yeah, I blew up your plane." I wrote down. I, I can't remember who said this, but I wrote down. Now that's what I call solar power. I imagine that was Bond that said that. I don't know. Yeah, it's one of them. They're, they're just both having a blast. But the effect on it is terrible because there's no laser that actually comes out. They just clearly rigged the plane to blow up and then just detonated it while they had the laser, the laser device pointing at it. No laser actually comes out of it. Oh, I didn't spot that. Mm. Yeah. Do you know what? I think I'd rather that than a really badly put on laser on top. Yeah, I mean, we saw that stuff from Diamonds Are Forever, right? Like, that probably would have been what we would have got if they did yeah. add it in. Yeah. So after that little demonstration with the laser, uh, Scaramanga, yeah, well, there's a little a little bell and knickknacks. Knickknacks sorted lunch for everyone. So it's time for lunch. Uh with goodnight so they all go sit down at the table and this is this is where you kind of get the 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 dialogue here between bond and scaramanga is really you get into the meat of like well to scaramanga they're the same sort of person sort of thing and you get the the full-on like parallel universe sort of thing like one is one really that different from the other um because yeah basically scaramanga's uh, I can't remember how exactly it turns into being nasty. I think it's just like a couple of little lines here and there. But um, yeah, basically Scaramanga showing off all of the money and then saying, well, you know, I've got all this and, and you work for Her, her Majesty's government and get a pittance for a paycheck and that sort of thing. You're not so different, you and I. And obviously Bond, Bond does not agree with that and just calls him out as like an assassin and, and he kills bad people. Um as as an agent as a as a mi6 agent and it's i can't really remember like the intricacies intricacies of this conversation but it is nice how like you can tell the it's like ramping up intention and and this it's all starting out with smiles and everything but eventually turns nasty because uh it basically at, at the end of it Scaramanga's like, yeah, I, I really, I, my ultimate goal, like my ultimate hunting trophy, is is you. Like, I want to be the man who killed James Bond, and that's how we eventually lead to um to a duel, which is what he suggests to do, like pistols at dawn type of situation. Um, 
but yeah, I, I, I don't know what you think, but there's just like, this seems really nice in that way of, of amping up things quite, quite naturally, I felt. Well, it's basically Scaramanga kind of ranting about his ideas and you just kind of get that sense that Bond doesn't agree and the more Scaramanga kind of rants and push because he, Scaramanga, as you say, they're both assassins, which I don't think Bond would agree with, but Scaramanga is just being like, yeah, me and you, we're the same person. I really enjoy killing. You really enjoy killing. It's just you do it for no money and I do it for a ton of money, of which Bond says I kill for my government and tries to justify that from a moral standpoint. With Scaramanga, is just like, yeah, whatever. You just enjoy killing, mate, like me, <laughs> which is when the guns come out. But then Roger Moore, or James Bond also says, there's a four-letter word and you're full of it. <laughs> which is an unexpected but great line uh, from bond yeah yeah uh, great delivery by roger moore there Um, i mean the only thing i would say is i wish this scene was longer but yeah it it does work for what it is it just definitely we could have had more than this more of this definitely yeah like this is this is the crux of forget about the solex and and all that mcguffin stuff like this is the crux of the film theme or or what i think it should have been anyway like this element of there being someone that matches bond and thinks that they're like Bond and gets them into the situation. So you're right. Like, I would have loved to have had the film focus more on this. Um, but instead, we have an energy crisis. So, oh, well. Yeah. And one last thing about this scene is that the the wine cups were really ugly and I didn't like them. <laughs> what, what I thought about this scene is, so, yeah, at, at the end, uh, Scaramanga's like, yep, yeah, we're going to have a duel and, and one of us is going to kill the other. Um but then he's like, but first, let's finish lunch. <laughs> it's like, that's an awkward rest of the lunch. What do you talk about? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's Bond, isn't it? Like, Scaramanga's like, let's have a, a duel. It's the only true test of gentlemen, of which Bond's like, I doubt you qualify, but I guess we'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> but Bond's like, well, let me have some food first. <laughs> <laughs> let me just finish my mushrooms here. Yeah, let's have the mushrooms. But, but with the wine glasses, the reason why I say they're ugly... Uh, okay. is because they're like metal and solid like you can't see it it's like these really horrible metal looking cups and i'm just like Ugh. for wine I, I guess some people do it but it's it's more 70s style decor and trends that is bad and i know it's a weird thing to pick up on but i was like oh like but there's so many cups on the cake there's like 10 of these on the table these ugly metal cups i'm like Ugh. why bad well, knickknack you make it well that's a good point because it's like, well, Bond would never, Bond would never pick such glasses. So you could say, you know, Scaramanga has all this money, but he can't buy taste. Ah, mm. maybe. Mm-hmm. And then Nicknack pours Bond some fuyuk, and he starts off. <laughs> and then Bond goes fuyuk, fuyuk. <laughs> I really, I really want that to exist. Do you think that actually exists? I hope so. <laughs> I hope so too um anyway let's get on with this so we're near the end now so we're getting to um the duel we'll just get straight on to it um bond and scaramanga on the beach it's a really cool shot back to back uh, as they're about to do their 20 paces uh i think at this point i think at this point goodnight's been where is goodnight is she with the scientist guy yeah i think she's with the creepy scientist because the whole time she's in a bikini for some reason Yes, that's spends right. a good chunk of this just being stared at by some guy in a bikini. Oh, like she's in a bikini and some guy is just staring at her very blatantly. Oh yeah, okay, yeah. So, so good night's out of the question for now, and it's just uh, it's just Bond and Scaramanga on the beach. Nicknacks there. Um, 
officiating the duel and, and starts the countdown. So you get you get the call. I mean, it's like it's an inherently cool scene, right? You know, two two agents having a duel like this. So doesn't really need to do too much apart from that. Um, you know, the the golden gun against the Walther PPK. Uh, and then they get to the last few paces and Bond turns around and Scaramanga's not there. He's run off. He's run off. And that leads to sort of the final act of, of this little uh, scene at Scaramanga's lair because now it's it's Bond. Basically, as Tom mentioned, it's it's a repeat of the the beginning of the film where we're getting Bond exploring around Scaramanga's base and and uh, Scaramanga sort of, well, knick-knack toying with the both of them and making it a challenge. So as much as I love the dual scene, and like you say, the setup is so cool, Roger Moore and Christopher Lee back-to-back with guns pacing away. So good. Mm. So, so good. Um, but it kind of ends really awkwardly where, yeah, the whole point is that Scaramanga used this to kind of run away to make the real duel being the fun house. But you hear a gunshot and then they cut away. I think they're trying to add a load of intrigue to it, but it, the editing made it seem odd. Like, I didn't really get a good sense that Scaramanga had run off because I don't think they really show it. It's just a bit... Roger Moore turns and shoots and then it just kind of cuts off and then Roger just kind of leaves. And it's a bit like... It's a bit awkwardly done, that part of it. But yeah, it doesn't ruin it for me because just the idea of it's so cool. You know what would have been funny? Have you seen those Have you seen those videos where it's like, imagine if Batman didn't get away in time. You know when Batman does a thing where someone turns around and he's not there? And so you just see like the tail end of Batman running away out of a shot. <laughs> It'd be yeah. funny if they'd done that. And Scaramanga's like still just running past a rock. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, so yeah, with that... Uh, Bond is now left to well, I think Knickknack comes up. That, that, yeah, he gets up, finds Knickknack, and Knickknack says, "You know, oh, if you kill him, if you kill Scaramanga, this is all mine." So, sort of goading him on to to go and kill Scaramanga and uh, set him up for this this funhouse duel, um, because then he quickly goes and runs off onto his little um, his little control board, ready to do all the mirrors and skeletons and Al Capone and all that sort of stuff. And Bond is left to to go in and start exploring. Yeah, this is kind of implied at the start of the film a bit more, where the whole point is that Nick and Scaramanga, yes, they work together, but basically Nick is is trying to bring people in to kill him. So what we saw at the very start was basically Scaramanga testing himself, where Nick is trying to find assassins to take on Scaramanga to kill Scaramanga, and Scaramanga likes it kind of as a sport basically mm. so bond is supposed to be like the ultimate person for him to take on but that's what that intro sequence was trying to convey that it was yes yeah, scaramanga is kind of someone who loves playing these games with assassins and wants wants more and more challenge as he goes yeah so yeah so we see scaramanga inside the fun house um and we see the fake bond once again like the fake kind of model of bond uh and knickknack shows bond to the entrance of which Bonds doesn't have much patience for him. He's like, I've never killed a midget before, but there can always be a first time. And he's like, oh, monsieur. <laughs> I forgot we haven't that. really talked about Nick Nag, have we? We haven't, actually. It's been three and a half hours, pretty much, and we haven't talked about Nick Nag. What, what do you think of Nick Nag overall? Well, I was going to say that I... Uh, we're very close to where this goes wrong. But for the most part of the film, I don't really... I think they've handled the character quite well in that it's like, it's an easy target, right? Like, a midget, you can make so many jokes about that. And there's a couple bits that you could say, like, 
that they're sort of exploiting that. But I think for the most part, they don't, which is quite surprising, given that this is a film from the 1970s. It's like an easy target, I would have thought. And so as I was watching this, I was quite impressed. I was like, yeah, it's quite a creepy little character. Um, little in the sense of like, not physical, but I mean like little as in as yeah, a character. Small part. Yeah. Small part. Uh, and then it's kind of, it kind of ruined at the end, which we'll get to. That's that's my thoughts. Yeah, I well, kind not, of agree. Ruined, I, actually, but, yeah. I was surprised that I liked Nick Knack as much as I did. Not a ton, yeah. but it's a very different type of henchman and I can at least appreciate that. And like you say, they don't spend the whole time being like, oh, you're tiny or whatever or and things like that. So it, it does kind of work, especially because he wears all these suits and stuff like that. And he's kind of the butler and he has a nice relationship with Scaramanga, this whole idea of them, of him bringing assassins to this island and stuff to kill Scaramanga. That's kind of a nice relationship. So it's not one of my favorites by any means, but I was kind of surprised. He's weird with his like, yeah, he's meant to be weird. Um, but you know, I actually quite quite liked it in the end. Yeah. So yes, yeah, so Nick Knack yeah leads Bond into the house, and Bond then goes through what we saw in the intro. So all the lights go red. He then sees Garamanga on the wall, and Bond enters in the same entrance with all these kind of doorways, and we see him going through those same kind of scenes where Nick Knack is laughing over the PA system. We see the cowboy come out of the saloon. Although this time, the the cameras, like we see it on the cameras instead, which I think was really smart. Like we see a lot, like we've already seen most of this stuff right from the intro. So instead they show most of it from Nick Knack's point of view, instead looking at the camera screens. I thought that was a really cool way of mixing this up while doing the same thing again. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. So Nick Knack says, oh, I think Bond only has three bullets left. Because the golden gun only has one bullet, right? Yeah. Uh, so Bond, I think, had to have been f- uh, firing and things like that. So there's mirrors everywhere. Bond's now fully in this thing. The camera is following Bond everywhere he goes. And he walks into this like clear glass panel, kind of goes behind it and sees this big drop and all this scaffolding. So basically starts climbing down the scaffolds. And because he's down these scaffolds, he's off camera and Nick Knack can't find Bond anymore on the camera. So he's kind of frantically trying to find Bond, but Bond has basically disappeared. And as Bond is climbing down, he drops his gun completely. And we get this very loud sound of it like clanging all the way down, Mm. which we then cut to Scaramanga, who hears the gun. And very smartly, that's when it kind of starts going to Scaramanga's point of view. So we've seen this from Nick Knack and Bond's point of view so far, but now the focus is on Scaramanga's point of view. So he's looking for his golden gun because Nick Knack is testing him and he's trying to test himself. And yeah, he's just kind of looking around and trying to find the gun and Bond. And we see Nick Knack again, still can't find Bond. We see the American gangsters again from before and... It's a lot of very slow, tense shots, and I absolutely love this scene because of it. It's very, it's a lot of slow stuff of Bond and stuff, and then it's a lot of slow stuff of Scaramanga, and eventually he's walking around, and we see that fake Bond model again. But from but we we have a camera shot from it from behind, looking at Scaramanga, and suddenly it turns and shoots Scaramanga, hey. and it turns out it was the real Bond. Bond decided to play fake. And it caught Scaramanga out and he was able to shoot and kill him. And this whole scene's just excellent. 
Just yep. really, really excellent. A really great payoff to the intro. Really great tension here. Really fun to see both these two. The way Bond out tricks him is just it's 10 out of 10 stuff for, for me yeah totally agree i, I mean I, I put in my notes i put it's over too quickly i could have had so much more of just this it's so good um and i think part of the reason for that uh, along with like the cool set and you know the the idea of using the statue which was as we said it was kind of planted as a seed at the beginning of the film so it makes sense why it's here um even though you really think about it what how did he get that model of bond we'll forget that um <laughs> all that stuff is great but what I also really like is that this is we haven't really had this sort of showdown with a Bond and, and the villain, really. There's been uh, different sorts of fights. You know, there's been hand-to-hand fights and, and stuff like that. But this is like an actual proper, both of them are, are at risk here. Both of them are, are using their skills, right? This is like a proper shootout. They're both assassins, as, as it's been described as. So... Yeah, it's just a nice change of pace, and and as you say, like just the shooting of it, and it could have easily just been the same again from the beginning, but they did it in such a way as to keep it a little bit more uh, visually interesting. Definitely, it's so good. Really, really like this scene, and like you say, yeah, it's a very different type of ending scene between villains. Where we had the last one with Kananga, where they just have a bit of a weak fight, and then he blows up and stuff, and it's a bit weird. So I appreciate that. You know, that one was a more low-key ending for the villain. It wasn't a big shootout and stuff. And this one is that, but or low-key again, but just so smartly done. Like, it's doing so much more with less. And if you're going to have a less action-oriented scene and a less action-oriented film, this was just kind of a fantastic way of doing it, of being very slow and just pitting two people against each other that you've built up throughout the film. So it's just, yeah, my hat's off to it entirely. Yep. 100% agreed. So yeah, that's it. Scaramanga's, Scaramanga's been shot. Um, the rest of the film now is a little bit of a... I wrote notes for it, but good, goodness. Um, basically, uh, after that point, well, I think we cut back to to Goodnight, who, as you say, is with the creepy... She's with the creepy science man <laughs> who's been just ogling her really awkwardly. Uh, and he gets distracted looking at some sort of like panel uh so she takes this this is the one you know i was gonna say the one good thing she does it ends up causing problems but you know good for her she actually does something useful and she knocks out the guard or the the scientist man i want to say his name's cree or cray or cra or something uh, yeah whatever uh she knocks jack him out whilst... frost. It's called jack frost. <laughs> whilst he's not looking and he falls over the side of this kind of like stairwell thing and straight into one of the big helium tank pits that very helpfully like as he does that and it's like bubbling and all that doesn't look good there's like a sign so clearly in the background just in case anyone has missed it who's who's been watching um that it says like it says something it's just it really made me laugh it was like something i'd expect to see in austin powers where it was to prevent prop what i even wrote down to prevent prompt criticality you know temperature must be kept below zero just think like that's a good place sign there well done um no so yeah. bodies do not throw body <laughs> bodies will cause this to blow up i mean that's basically it right do not push bodies into this <laughs> um so yeah that starts bubbling and you get the impression oh no something is not gonna go very well uh so bond and goodnight are reunited and obviously bond still wants to get the solex uh which is in that kind of weird machine that 
scam angle was showing off earlier, that they go and find it, or whilst the the base itself is starting to like overload and blow up and sirens and smoke and everything. So they find the big machine with the reflector. Bond jumps down to where the Solex is. It's kind of in this lower level and tries to start unscrewing where the Solex is, but it's quite tough. So he's like banging it with his gun and everything like that. Um, Good Knight is peering over, um, like leaning over and (laughs) uh, with her bottom accidentally presses a button on the control panel behind her which activates the reflector that we saw earlier uh, which will obviously start reflecting the sun and then causing that big scary beam to come down right where Bond is and get in the way of uh, getting the Solex so yeah I mean this whole bit is just so I feel like we've had the good bit now and it's just needs I know it needs to have this bit but it's just I really just didn't care by this point there I am again I don't care um but yeah, so Bond's there, the beam's in the way. Uh, he's yelling at Goodnight, you know, find a way to stop it, press all the buttons, all the damn buttons. He's getting really annoyed with her. Uh, and it does stop, albeit temporarily, because a cloud passes by the sun and stops the reflection, which gives Bond a chance to carry on getting the Solex. And there's a little bit like a, it's meant to be tense, like, oh, the cloud, it's passing. It's going to come back. The sun's going to come back out soon. Is he going to burn Bond? Like, you get these shots of Bond so clearly over the spot where the beam's going to come down, uh, like a bird's eye view. Uh, and it does suddenly, like, snap back into into existence, the beam. But he's he's got it. It's all good. He's got the Solex. Um, so as the base explodes, they escape. They get out of the island. Don't think it's I missed anything with there, this did I? Scene, yeah, it's the timing of it, isn't it, really? And it's more just... Good night being ditzy and stupid and fumbling her way through. And it, you just don't want to see it anymore. Oh, yeah. like, I didn't really mind that stuff so much earlier in the film. But when we've just had this and we're just trying to wrap it up, just like, just move on. Just go and get the Solex and leave and have the base explode. That's all you need. But yeah. it takes ages just Bond trying to get out this thing, swacking it with his gun like an ape. And then Goodnight being like, I don't know what to do. Oh, my butt hit the hit the master <laughs> buttons. Oopsie, oopsie. It's just like, oh, just get rid of it. Like, oh, come on. Like, just get on the boat. Leave. Yeah, totally. Yeah, just needs to move on. So with everyone or everything blowing up because they had five minutes, they get onto the, the junk. Is that right? Mm, yeah. So they get onto the junk. So the ship that we saw Scaramango use before and sailed away. And it's Bond and Goodnight on the boat and they say, oh, we'll be in Hong Kong in eight hours. What are we going to do? So they're on the bed kissing and and things like that. And Bond's in a a lovely robe, I have to say. Oh, there's the robe. See, I thought when you said robes earlier, you were talking about the the martial arts robes. Well, yeah, there is that robe. Uh, There's many, many different meanings, yeah. Yeah, we do get a robe at the end. But as they're in bed, the camera pans up and we see that Knickknack is on the on the boat oh my goodness in the roof what and i know he made it i guess and he puts a knife in his mouth which i'm assuming that's not a real knife because he that gets real up in his mouth Mm. and if that was a real sharp knife he would be that would be horrendous like it looks it looks really bad because he's just shoving this knife so directly into his mouth i'm just like oh god that makes me uncomfortable um but yeah he then puts the knife in his mouth and then takes it out and jumps down or, no, sorry, Goodnight sees him, screams, and then he jumps down. And then Goodnight starts... Well, they have a fight, basically, which is yeah. Bond... Yeah, go on. 
No, I was just saying if you could call it a fight. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that's fair. Yeah. So Bond gets a chair, a wooden chair, and kind of smashes it. So he only has like the back bit. And he has the knife, but Nicknack just starts running around from the room and hides under a sofa. And then Bond just kind of jabs underneath the sofa, but Nicknack kind of runs away and gets to the wine bottles and starts throwing wine bottles at Bond, which he just uses his broken chair to block. Until eventually, uh, Bond gets a big suitcase, slowly walks up to Nicknack, and just locks him in the suitcase. And all throughout this, Nicknack is shouting stuff like "I'll kill you! I'll kill you!" in this like high pot, high pitched uh, French accent, which makes it all very silly. Mm. And, and there's sort of like a, a doddery music as well, isn't there? There's like a, it's meant to be funny music playing now. Yeah, like Nicknack does have a theme. Uh, he does have a musical theme. It's just so subtle and not really used that often that I don't know if they played it here, but they do play it in other scenes. Like he does have a musical oh, piece. Okay. Oh, right. Um, uh, along with him, but yeah, he calls him a big bully. And I mean, this bit made me laugh where he's in the suitcase. He's like, "Ah, oh, let me out, you big bully!" And he's just like, "Shut up!" <laughs> <laughs> it's another blunt Bond moment. And I'm not going to say this scene is good, but it's shorter than I remember. Yeah. Like, I remember this going on for ages. Maybe it's Same. just because it's the very end of the film, but it is actually quite quick for what it is. Yeah, I was exactly the same. I, I was dreading this bit because I knew I knew there was something that happened on the boat at the end. And I was like, oh, no, we're so close. Please, no. But it was, it. yeah, rip it off like a plaster. It was quite short. I just, as I say, they had so much of the film where they, they didn't do this sort of gag, and then right at the end they had to squeeze it in about fitting him in a suitcase. It's just like, oh, you, you were so close it was so close film and he just couldn't make it. Yeah, nearly out the door. And yeah. and just to, you know, my point stands as well. They did this along with the other films where they give you like two endings mm. and then both of them kind of suffer. This one isn't as bad as Live and Let Die or anything like that. But again, I don't like this trope of, and then the henchman comes back. But with this one, at least it's very short and brief. Although to be fair, I did like the fight with Teehee. So maybe I'm a hypocrite and... But yeah, it's it's a little bit of an awkward ending, mostly because of that Solek scene and, and this scene as well. And they don't kind of tie it together too well. I I was at this point of the film where it was the, the thing that annoyed me most about this scene was the fact that they're you know, they're they're barefoot and there's so much broken glass everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Put some shoes Neither. on, please, come on. Oh. So yeah, so that's it basically. So he gets rid of gets rid of him. Uh, leaves the room and then comes back and then they start kissing again and a phone goes off a phone just pops up next to the bed bond answers and it's M. it's like are you there bond and great job on that mission and all that and asks for good night and bond's like oh he's right there or she's just coming or no i blew that a bit didn't i i ruined that joke uh she's go you know she's gonna be on her way to the phone and M is speaking on the phone and Bond then picks it up again and says, she's just coming, sir, and goes back to, to kissing. I think we get some, like, M patiently waiting on the phone footage as well. <laughs> just yeah. him just waiting, like, hmm. Which, uh, I'm glad yeah. they ended on M. That's a, that's nice they brought him back. Yeah. And he then, M's like, what's going on? Where are you? Of which Bond picks up the phone and says, good night, sir. Because her name's good night. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, it all oh, comes together. I see why they did that now, yeah. It, what a payoff. What a payoff. I mean, quite why M had a direct line to 
Scaramanga's boat. We, we won't question that. Never mind. They mean they don't know what he looks like, but they know his phone number. Yep, just so Bond can say goodnight while kissing a woman called Goodnight. Ah, the end. And we see Knickknack is just hanging from, like, in a basket on top of the ship. Just a bit of a sad shot, really. Is he still mumbling something as well? Like, still He might be, yeah. yeah. He's just called mad just in the top and... And then yeah, there we go. The main the the main theme, the man with the golden gun starts playing, although a slightly different version of it. Yeah, it's a little, a little intro to the outro in a way. Yeah, yeah. I think it's talking a bit more about James Bond instead, and then it goes into the the song again, and and that's it. Credits roll. James Bond will return in the Spy Who Loved Me, and and that's it. That's the man with the golden gun. Yeah. So there you are. I can't remember who went first for, uh, last time. Was it me? Oh, well, I went first on Diamonds, so you went. You must have gone yeah. first with Live and Let Die, so I'll so, go first on this yeah, one. what did you think? So it's quite interesting, because I feel like we haven't had much to say about this film um, as we've gone along. So this might end up being our longest episode, which will be depressing if that's true. But uh, yeah, I feel like we <laughs> haven't had much to really say, and it's because it's another one that is quite unremarkable, like Live and Let Die. It's very much that template just kind of with a different story and a different setting and villain and things like that. But I think the main thing I would kind of take away from this film is that this could have been my number one. I honestly see enough elements in it that I probably could have put it above from Russia with love. If we were in a different universe and this was handled a bit differently, because I love the idea of the story and I with, with the man with the golden gun. And I love Scaramanga and Christopher Lee and things like that. And some of these scenes are really effective and, Yes, it's a more low-key film, but I'm definitely open to a lower-key, less action-oriented type of James Bond film. But this just has some of the same problems that Live and Let Die had, where it's just bloated, just really, really bloated. And the Bond girl stuff bothers me a lot. Not so much Goodnight, but the, the other woman, like, terrible, terrible part of the film. And Goodnight should have been improved as well. And I don't really like the main theme as well, which doesn't help. But I see all the elements here where it's assassin versus assassin. And some of these scenes really, really do work. And I do like Roger Moore in this film, Christopher Lee and stuff. And Nick Knack warmed on me as well. And there was a good stunt with the boat as well. Like, oh, all the ideas are here. This could have been my number one. It's just a really enjoyable, low-key, less or action-oriented film. But there's just too many stuff that doesn't work. It's too bloated, too long. And it kind of just ends up being a bit disappointing i think would be the word i would use not just not terrible not even really bad there's still enough stuff i like but it's just a big disappoint like big disappointment because all the elements are there for what i think could have been a quite different kind of more old school style of bond adventure that would have worked really well so i guess i gotta rank it yeah (laughs) i was just about to let you start talking so i kind of struggled with this one a little bit um just based on what i'm saying you can probably guess that i didn't really you know, for me, I kind of look at You Only Live Twice because that's my lowest Sean Connery film, ignoring a certain film. So I kind of think, do I like this more or less than that film? And then I can go through them. And I got close, but I think I still liked You Only Live Twice more. Oh. Uh, and then it came down to, do I like Live or Live and Let Die or this more? And seeing how they're quite similar type of films, but I feel like this film had higher highs and didn't have that terrible boat chase, I'm going to say The Man with the Golden Gun is better than Live and Let Die. 
Mm. Um, so I'm going to put it as my number seven film. So underneath You Only Live Twice at six, but above Live and Let Die at number eight. Okay. That's that's kind of, yeah, that's kind of where I thought you would go, to be honest. Um, although I'm quite surprised that, yeah, I mean, I'm surprised that you, you liked it as much as you did. I, there's still enough that I liked, honestly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's still enough that I liked in there. Um, I was thinking that maybe it would go underneath Live and Let Die, but there, there was just enough stuff in there. And I think when I think of which one would I prefer to rewatch, I would probably prefer to rewatch this and enjoy the Christopher Lee stuff and the setting as well. I was just m- way more into the setting than Live and Let Die. Like there is enough stuff in there. And some of the comedy did work for me as well. So like, again, very similar film, but I think I would rather rewatch this then live and let die because it had the higher highs. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, um, uh, it's tricky because I, I really wanted to like this film more than I ended up um, because it's unlike live and let die, which I actually put at the bottom <laughs> last time I put it at the bottom of my rank. I, I really did not gel with that film very much. Uh, this one I was, as I was watching it, I, I felt like I was getting the comedy a lot better uh, I really liked Roger Moore more as Bond in this. I feel like it was such a step up. I don't know. I can't really pinpoint what exactly, but it just felt better him on screen um, and, you know, delivering the lines and, and the gags and everything. So that was great. Christopher Lee, obviously we spoke about, it's just a great actor. It's just a great presence on screen. The locations, I liked going back to Asia. I liked Bangkok and, and Macau and, and Hong Kong. They're all great locations. Um and as we touched on, the whole core element of of this this assassin that sees himself as Bond, uh, similar to Bond, and and the parallels and the differences between them. Like if that was more in the film, I would have loved that. But it was nice to see it anyway at all. But there are f- just a few things that really pulled it down for me. So yeah, J W Pepper. I forgot how annoying I found him in this film. Um, Good night. I <laughs> made it quite crystal clear. I did not like that character. And you're right, like the other Bond girl, Anders, uh, she w- really wasn't very memorable or, or interesting either. Um, the music, apart from the main theme, wasn't really there for me. Um, and I think you've kind of like the main problem that you've touched on is just the it's just the pacing. It's just so it's so bloated, as you say. You could have so much cut out of this, and they're tighter snappier film would have easily moved it up higher so that said i'm putting it with all that negative and negative stuff still it is a roger moore film and i do have a soft spot for it and i still had a good time watching it so i'm putting it at number four i'm putting it slightly above diamonds are forever okay but, but still below the likes of dr no thunderball and from russia of love so that is still quite high for you then yeah, I mean, this is the thing where we're getting further into this podcast and we're getting a bigger and bigger ranking. It's getting more difficult because you're starting to see films that you're like, well, actually, I like that one more than this one, but that one's above that. You know what I mean? So you start mm. to like get a bit tangled in your own ranking. Well, so, that's what I'm seeing with your rankings. Yours is very tangled between the Sean Connery and Roger Moore films because you've got Live and Let Die at the bottom, but then now you've got this at number four, where yeah. mine are quite nicely separated. <laughs> yeah. <I'm, laughs> and maybe that's more boring, but I know what kind of Bond I like, so they're, they're being separated in this nice way. I'm not making it easy for myself, let's put it that way. No. But I want to just say what you're saying, like, agree with you, where an edited version of this film 
is probably better than Doctor No for me, and is like would would go above that in my list. So Doctor No for me is at number four, and I would probably put it above that, and maybe on a Majesty Secret Service an edited version of this film. But unfortunately, yeah. that's not what we got. Um, like an hour and forty version of this film is a really good Bond adventure, in my opinion. It's just not what we got. That's exactly it. If I was to look at these two films, Doctor No and um, Man with the Golden Gun. I would now I'd pick Doctor No because of it's just shorter and 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 tighter. So I'm just surprised that Thunderball was up there when it was on my my bottom bottom five list and it's 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 staying there. Which just, is quite yeah, something. just nothing's overtaken. Like I know films for me will definitely overtake it. I don't like down the line, but yeah, it's holding on in there. Nothing's been able to say like yeah, I liked it more. I think that's going to change next time though. I really do. I, hope I really so. hope so. Yeah. I really, yeah, I hope so as well. Make my list a bit more legit, wouldn't it? Mm. Uh, okay, well, we won't uh, ramble anymore. That's the man with the golden gun. So we're at the end of the Guy Hamilton. Well, we're done now. We're done with Guy Hamilton. Yeah. And we enter a different sort of Bond film uh, with The Spy Who Loved Me next week. So any any last words before we wrap this up? I'm going to go speak to Lulu for a bit. She's still here. Ah, oh, Lula, is she? She's not yeah. asleep in the wardrobe. <laughs> she she has fallen asleep because we've, we've spoke for so long about this film. So I'm going to go wake her up. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening. You have been listening to episode nine of the Bond Revisited podcast. Join us next week when the Bond Revisited podcast will return for The Spy Who Loved Me. <laughs> 